five, four, three, two, one. Cannoli. Cannoli. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Hoos. I'm joined again my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we are tackling... We've already talked about Citizen Kane on the podcast. We've talked about 12 Angry Men. We've talked about Psycho. We're talking about another one of the greatest films of all time in terms of IMDb, uh, critics, AFI critics lists, uh, Letterboxd, one of the other films considered often to be the greatest film of all time, which is The Godfather Part 2. And we're attacking another one of the films that has been considered one of the greatest films of all time, and that's The Godfather Part 1. And we're also tackling another one of the films that hasn't been loved as much, and that's The Godfather (laughs) Part 3. So we're looking, finally, at The Godfather trilogy. We've been talking about doing this podcast for over a month now, uh, and we've finally got around to doing it. This The time felt right, because it's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather this year. People may have seen at the Oscars, you know, uh, Al Pacino, um, Robert De Niro, and and Coppola. Was that it? Was that them three? Yeah. Came out and it, it talks about the Godfather. Uh, they've been re-released in Britain in cinemas. Uh, there's been a bigger push uh, to for I think more people have been seeing the 2020 cut of The Godfather Part Three, The Godfather Coda, yeah. Death of Michael Corleone. People have been seeing that more. That's been in cinemas in the UK as well. So a lot of talk. If the time feels right, so we get finally talking about The Godfather, and I'll, I'll say it. First and foremost, I had prior to March of 2022, I'd not seen a minute of The Godfather in my life. I didn't know. I, I knew. I've heard the quotes. I'm going to make you enough. I can't refuse. A lot of the other quotes in the film, I didn't know from that film. I didn't know what Brando really. I didn't have any idea what he sounded like. I didn't know anything about the iconic stuff of the film. So I was completely new. I've watched the three. I watched the new cut of, of my, uh, Godfather Part Three. So I think this is going to be in a similar style to how we want to do the the favourite series, whatever we're going to call that. We're going to we want people to come on here and talk to us about what makes their favourite film their favourite film, and have a discussion about the film rather than just straight reviews. You know, six out of ten cinematography could be better kind of stuff. Um, we want to have more in depth discussions. So if you're interested in coming on and telling us about you know why you love Toy Story three or Sallow or whatever. You know, message us on on Twitter at Now Showing Pod. Uh, but we're going to do that today. I think we're going to try and get some reviews in there, but also just have some discussion about what we think of these films. And we're vaguely aware of each other's opinions on all most things, but it should be nice to have it in uh, in audio form. So, Lewis, I think today might mark. It obviously marks the the a big podcast for us. It's an important podcast because we've talked mm-hmm. about it for ages, and it's a film that we both have a lot of opinions on. I think this, I'm not certain, I'm not sure, but I think this may mark the death of the Bazinga. That's shocking. You've literally only just told me that like two minutes before we started recording and I, I'm shook. That's a big I'm not thing. Certain are, you th- are you talking about replacing it with something else or just scrapping the idea altogether? I mean, I'm not 100% certain yet. Uh, I've just had this idea, you know, in the last couple of minutes. But I think we... It's. We, I think we should just put it in the corner, and you know, feed it, but just kind of don't give any attention, and then bring it out for special occasions, like an unloved uncle. So when we do like a an Oscars show, we'll we'll introduce the podcast with Bazinga. But then when we do other films, I think we should do new words related to the films. Today we did Cannoli because we're doing The Godfather. Maybe that's, that's for Morbius idea, we'd yeah. say shit. 
we'd say something so shit maybe yeah <laughs> fan of the open we go blow my neck or whatever flipping neck um, flipping <laughs> neck um, that's a good idea actually so yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think we've just marked the death of Zing, which is an important, you know, this has been going on since the first episode. So, you know, yeah. today's a, a passionate day. We might have done our last Bazinga when we recorded the last episode. Maybe. Oh, wow. But and we didn't even know not, we were doing sure. it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, we, we just, ah, oh, emotional. That is sad. So how that are you doing, so, Lewis? I'm deeply sad now. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, we I'm, don't I'm, have to. I know, I know, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly, I'm not feeling 100. percent I'm a little bit ill, um, but nevertheless, I'm excited to finally get into the Godfather. We watched the Godfather Part One together. We watched the 4K restoration together in London a while ago, and ever since then, we've been speaking about doing this. And I'm very excited to, to get into it. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing swell. Uh, what if you have any thoughts on my my myself? Uh, you can listen to the podcast we recorded on Monday because we're also recording this on Monday. Yes. Um, so I might have died between these podcasts, but you know, fingers I don't know crossed that. that you I'm don't. I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hopefully I'm not. Um, okay, so let's talk about what we've watched. So have, you you haven't watched anything, have you? Uh, I haven't watched anything, episode. but I I have rewatched a certain TV show, or I am in the process of rewatching a certain TV show. Do you want me to talk about that now? I'll come back to you okay. with that. I'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, and I'll quickly first say that I've watched actually watched quite a lot, but I've watched nothing that I can talk about because we've either done it on the last episode, we did it on the episode before, we're doing it now. It's all stuffed on the podcast, so I haven't actually got much to speak about otherwise. Um, I'm still on my shit. I've been watching loads of really old films as usual. I've been watching the films of uh, of Max Linder um, and of uh, Alice uh, Guy Blachet. So these are still films from 1890 to 1910, that period. I'm still doing that. I'm still in my, in my um, film nerd era. Um, but other than that, I've watched a whole host of TV um, because... You know, I've been ill, so I've been at home. People are coming back from uni. People are having weeks off because it's the weather's getting nice. So I was spending a lot of time chilling with my friends. So I have sampled a lot of different things on Netflix. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about a lot of it, but I am going to talk about Is It Cake? Uh, have you seen any of Is It Cake? <laughs> I have, yeah. I've seen, I think I've seen two episodes. Have I can't remember if I talked about this in the last podcast. I might have talked about this already. I, I don't think you have. Um... Yeah, it's wonderful. It's really good. I, I recommend everybody go out of their way to go watch Is It Cake. The middle... So, for anyone that is unaware of Is It Cake, uh, get out from under the rock you've been hiding under. Um, <laughs> but it is a show on Netflix where they get these group of bakers, they they show them these items, right? Like a group of like 10 items. Like it could be like things you see at the beach or clothing items or something. And they have to guess, it's the start of the show, they have to guess which one of these things uh, is is made out of cake and the rest of them are real. And then after that, they go away, they pick their own things and then celebrity judges, well, I use the word celebrity quite loosely, but judges that have been on telly before come out and have to then um, pick, you know, what these bakers make and each baker has to, you know, make a cake that looks like their object they're choosing. So, you know, whether it's, you know... A, 
a bowling ball or whatever. Uh, in the middle of it is a boring cooking show bit, which is nowhere near as the level of like the British, British Bake or whatever. Um, but the bits where they actually pick the cake is some of the best television you'll ever see. It's actually so good. Um, the only thing that lets it down is it has one of the most obnoxious presenters I'll ever see. Um, <laughs> no. I was going to say no offence to that guy, but high offence to that guy. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, turn it off. You really, really annoy me. Um, but yeah, what do you think of Is It Cake? I, I'm shocked that you think so, positive of, so positively of it. It kind of reminds me of Tiger King in the sense that it's just, it's so insane. Like, how? Why, <laughs> this is a TV show, what the fuck? Um, I don't think it's that weird a concept. I mean, we've been having stuff on Twitter for the last like three years of people cutting into pugs before you realize. I know, but turning that into natural progression, turning that into a TV show, is is so crazy. (laughs) Turning that concept. What if the TV show is cake though? Like, what What, if the whole? Well, that's something that I am curious about. Is it cake? We don't know. They never answer us. Is it cake? They put. They ask the question. Is it cake? Yeah, it's a bit like worst person in the world in that respect. Yeah, um, she, is she the worst person in the world? Is it cake? Yeah, that's the that's the main question of that film. Um, yeah, so I've been watching that, and I've been watching Trick Happy TV, and I've been watching Go- Go- Gogglebox. And once again, about is it cake? And you just reminded me of it. <laughs> I just want everyone to, if you haven't seen Trigger Happy TV, go watch the Netflix. Go watch it on Netflix. It's from the early 2000s. It's the funniest thing you'll ever see. It's so good. I've watched it a million times over recently. And I watched the newest series of Rick and Morty, which makes... I've talked about Is It Cake and Rick and Morty, and I must sound like the biggest idiot in the world. <laughs> but, um, especially on an episode uh, where we're talking about two of the most... The like, Godfather. Pretentious, yeah. Not pretentious, but like... Um, yeah. Beloved films ever. And we start with Is It Cake. <laughs> and Rick and Morty. Uh, series 5 Rick and Morty is pretty good. Uh, I don't think it's got that much worse. Uh, it's obviously not the same level it was in series one and two, but it's still pretty much. I, I don't think it's like awful. Like some people seem to think it's like the levels dropped massively. Like okay, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not a ten out of ten now, but it's still like it's still very good. Um, so yeah, Rick and Morty's good. Um, other than that, the only other thing I saw was the. This is so not worth me talking about, but I'm saying it anyway. I watched the, the I watched the last forty minutes of the bubble. Right, so I got in from the pub and. Mum was watching The Bubble, and she was like, oh, I just saw this shit, it was on Netflix. And I was like, is it shit? And she's like, yeah, it's pretty shit. So I watched it, and it was shit, obviously. But it's, from what I gather, it isn't the worst film ever made. Like, it was just like a forgettable, like, stupid, silly comedy. It was like, it was fine. I don't really get what the backlash is. Like, it's people treating it like it's the worst film ever made. Like, I think it was just like, you know, any, like, like Step Brothers or something. You know, it's just like, it's just a funny, it's not that it's as good as Step Brothers, but you know what I mean? It's like, hmm. just a silly comedy. I thought it was fine. You know, it's the probably better than most minutes. things that Adam Sandler's been in. The last 40 minutes, of course. <laughs> Maybe the beginning hour is just like, you know, torture porn or something. But <laughs> what I saw was fine. So, yeah. What a waste of me talking that was. Okay, so what about you? What, what was the show that you've watched? Well, I have started re-watching Breaking Bad. Um, purely coincidentally, I have no idea why, but a few weeks ago... I just thought, I fancy watching Breaking Bad. In my opinion, it's the best TV show ever made. It's it's really amazing. It's so well done. Everything about it is perfect. It's 10 out of 10. And I thought, you know what? I fancy rewatching it. So I did. And I'm about halfway through season three now. And then it, I'm still loving it. And then this is our segue into the news segment. Because purely coincidentally, 
it was announced yesterday or the day before, I think, that Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, who play Walt and Jesse in Breaking Bad, will be... No one needs to know that, by the way. Well, yeah, but, you know, just to clarify, they will be appearing in the Breaking Bad spin-off, Better Call Saul's final season, uh, which premieres in a few days or weeks, um, which is very Um... nice, I think. Yeah, because I say I, I, I think you said the opposite. But I, of all the people I've talked to, there are very, very few people that seem to prefer Breaking Bad to Better Call Saul. It seems like Breaking Better Call Saul is the the more loved of the two now, which is kind of funny because for so long Breaking Bad was seen as like the pinnacle of television, yeah. um, and a lot of people seem to to you know now think that Better Call Saul surpassed it. And I haven't seen Better Call Saul. I've seen all but the the right at the end. I still need to finish Breaking Bad, but I'm quite near the end. Um, but I think even people that might acknowledge the Better Call Saul is better, it's obviously on the foundation of Breaking Bad, and I think coming back to those beloved characters and those two characters you know, being some of the most iconic in television history, I think that'll be a very nice uh, and welcome return. I think that single-handed piece of news has made me want to go watch Breaking, uh, Better Call Saul afterwards. I was thinking, oh, hmm. you know, I've got you know this much Breaking Bad, am I going to bother you know afterwards? If I do finish Breaking Bad, which I should do, uh, I might actually have to go back and watch Breaking Saul now, because I'm interested in how the, it must be, obviously, how much it links up. Um, so yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, Will Smith got banned for 10 years from the, the Oscars Academy. The Oscars... Uh, the Academy Award events, including the Oscars ceremony, basically. Yeah. Uh, which means that he can be nominated, he can even win Academy Awards, but he is not allowed to attend until the ceremony in 2032. So, this seems very much OTT. Do you not agree? Is that right? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're talking about restoring the integrity of the Academy, and it's like the Academy didn't have any integrity to begin with. When, when they gave Polanski an Oscar... Um, and they flew the Oscar to France because he's not allowed in the US because he's a fugitive. Um, they kind of lost any integrity that they ever potentially had. Um, and banning Will Smith from the Oscars for a decade doesn't do anything. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's ridiculous. Okay, um, life goes on. Okay, so let's get into the into the Godfather, shall we? Let's. Um, so. Oh, I just it, 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 it's a it's, it's just a mammoth task. I don't know how we're going to get into this. Know, we still don't really know. We've given this very loosely. We don't know how long we're going to talk about each thing. It might be five minutes. It might be an hour. We're just going to see how it goes, see how the conversation goes. But I think we're going to start off with reviews before our discussions, uh, at least, you know, just, just to get our opinions on The Godfather. Now, I, I want to say up front here, there's going to have to be spoilers. Um, and, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, this film came out in 1972. Of course, you could do spoilers. The 50th anniversary, a lot of people are only just seeing it for the first time. So, you know, in an ideal world, it'd be nice if we could do this without spoilers. But unfortunately, the nature of these films means it's very hard to talk about anything specific in the second film if we haven't given spoilers to the first. You know, if we're talking about character A and B in the first film and the character B is in the second, you're thinking, well, I think A got killed at some point. You have to, we have to be open with it, okay? So if, if you haven't seen The Godfather 1, 2, or 3, um, I recommend either going away and watching the first or being prepared to hear spoilers because it, unfortunately it'd just be a minefield that would be too much for Pain the Arse to, to traverse if we didn't. So 
Um, before we get into into our review of the first film of The Godfather, which I'll, I guess I'll go first on each of them, I guess, because I'm the, the new one, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask, so what's your relationship with The Godfather? So you, when did you first see it? How many times have you seen them? Uh, the new cut, everything. Tell me about Lewis Royal and The Godfather. Um, well, I first watched them when I was much younger. I was probably 13 or 14. Um, and I first watched them in three consecutive nights. Um, and I hadn't seen them since. Uh, and then last year, or perhaps it was the year before, I don't remember, when Coppola recut part three and introduced The Godfather Coda, they released that in cinemas and I wanted to see part three. Um, but I hadn't seen part one or part two for about, uh, you know, since I was about 12 or 13. Um, so really it was, it felt like the first time watching them, even though I had seen them, uh, it was so long ago and I was so much younger. And since then I'd become a big fan of films. I'm into films now. Uh, so I watched them with a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh, uh, perspective on life and fresh perspective on film. So, um, it feels like I watched them for the first time, even though I knew what happened. Um, but yeah, I watched them for the first time a long time ago, loved them then, but never really kind of admired them just accepted that they were good because i was told they were good um and then my perspective has switched uh, as i watch them now as as an adult well, i don't uh, get too much in that of course well yeah that's, um, what, that's all i'm saying so if anyone's still here that that um is going to, to click off if anyone's gonna that wants to miss the review um i'd like you to what do you think the godfather is about so i don't talk, i don't want any characters or actors names i don't want any plot points um but thematically what would you say you know what are what would you say this film is about would you say it's about power or family what would you say that is a very very good question um i would probably say it's about um family and loyalty if i had to pick just two words i'd say it's about family and loyalty I think it's a it's an interesting question. I think I think a lot of the answer that people would give that was would kind of surmise what they take from from the film. I I think I would say America mm. and what it is to be an American um, and and power. You know the way that power is used, abused, the way that it, it changes hands. Uh, I think, but I think it's about America and the American dream and. And how much that is true and not true, and and um, the way that the people in America have you know the the diff- the two worlds that that inhabit America, I think. Yeah, um, that's a good answer because it very much is about the relationship between those two worlds, of course. So, I, I, my, so I'm going to start this my my review now. Yeah. Um. So, The Godfather, of course. Uh, came out in 1972, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, director of, of course, most famously The Godfather Trilogy, but also Apocalypse Now, um, uh, and Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, The Conversation, and, and more, based on uh, Mario Puzo's novel The Godfather uh, from 1969, which is which was one of the best-selling uh, books over that period, you know, it was one of the, the biggest bestsellers uh, in the world at that point, uh, and stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall, 
um, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire. Um, I'm probably forgetting people. Um, Sterling Hayden, John Cazale. Um, you know, a whole host of, of a very, very young Sofia Coppola. Uh, a very wide uh, ensemble. Yeah. And is a, the, the, the first Godfather's story, I guess to surmise it, would be um, the look in, looking at how one aging mafia boss um, plans to uh, transfer his power to a, one of his young, uh, up-and-coming, emotional, aggressive young uh, sons uh, as the next Don in Sunny, and how that transfer uh, is affected by the arrival of narcotics into the American mafia uh, and underworld system, um, and how uh, another son, Al Pacino's Michael Corleone, um, gets end up getting twisted in the family business, despite his best intentions to stay uh, loyal to you know the American system as an ex World War Two veteran. That's a very ham-fisted attempt at describing The Godfather. But I think the scope of the film would be hard to describe. So, um, of course, this has got its reputation for one of the best films of all time. It's constantly bouncing around the IMDb, Letterboxd, top tens, uh, top fives, uh, often even higher than that, alongside its uh, success its sequel, The Godfather Part Two. Uh, at the time, it won Best Picture, it won Best Screenplay, it won Best Actor, and it received seven other nominations, including three acting nominations and a Best Director nomination. Um, I'm just trying to, to put into words the kind of hefty expectations that were put on my shoulders going into this film. You know, being into films, doing a film podcast for so many years, every single day I hadn't seen The Godfather meant that the the kind of the image of the Godfather became greater and bigger and scary, you know, like I, I, in the same way that I, I still see think, think films I haven't seen that are considered that good, like Seven Samurai or uh, Taxi Driver or something, you know, it, it becomes such this like enormous object. And it, un- it felt like a big deal that I finally was going to see it. You know, it felt like that was an important moment. Um, and how could it ever live up to its expectations? You know, p- people describe it as the best film of all time. A three-hour-long uh, mafia film, which is entrenched in pomp and pageantry, and the emotion and the kind of the kind of uh, almost the the most romantic parts of La Costa Nostra. Uh, how is this ever going to age well? This is this is perfectly going to be the most biggest ball fest ever. But it wasn't. It. it I, I don't know how it's done, happened two times with Citizen Kane and this, but I have complete and utter agreement with all of the praise that's heaped upon this. I, I, I could not expect myself to come out of anything but underwhelmed because I was like, how could I possibly this live up to the image that I'm expecting? And it absolutely did. I was in love from the moment I, I started watching this. I left the cinema. I was kind of almost in shock, you know, thinking this can't really be as good as I just thought it was. And I had to go to see the cinema, see it in the cinema again the next week because it was playing for a whole week, the first one. I had to go see it again to, just to make sure that I was fully conscious. You know, I remember being very tired the first time I watched it. I was like, I must be delirious because I could not believe that it was actually this good. You know, it was, it was set up to fail, but no, it was absolutely wonderful. I think 
you know, I, I will compare this more to Goodfellas in, in the future and how uh, a lot of people seem to, you know, the, the image of, of the Mafia is this kind of noble pursuit that is built up to be, to a degree, especially in the early parts of The Godfather, you know, how that image was destroyed by the, the gangster films of the uh, late 80s, early 90s. But for me, I think I'm really attracted to, to the pomp and the pageantry. I really am in love with, you know, not necessarily the Mafia, but the the family element and the you know the the detailed rule book and the power system and everything that it pre- is presented in this film is of course very dramatized events you know obviously these aren't real things these are this is a fiction but of course based on the uh, the world that Mario Puzo must have grown up you know not in but around i think that there's a lot of conversation about Marlon Brando um in in the lead role as Vito Corleone the the aging patriarch of the of the Corleone crime family there's a lot of conversation about is he great is he awful in the same conversation that follows Brando in in Apocalypse Now um he's very much not the typical person to get this role especially at the time uh he's makeup to you know the nth degree he's completely covered in, in, in makeup he's got cotton balls in his mouth and he's putting a weird voice on and I think a lot of people can see it and instantly think it's absurd and, you know, I talked to my dad on the phone, you know, when he first saw The Godfather, he said, he started pissing, he said, I saw The Godfather, and he, he started laughing, it was like, Marlon Brando, it's a choice, eh? What do you think of Marlon Brando? It's a choice. It first, certainly is a choice, from the studio to, to actually agree to letting him play the role, but from Brando and, and how he does it, you know, such an untraditional pick, but I very much find myself firmly stood in the camp of it's absolutely excellent. I think... Whether it's a traditional role or not is is unimportant. I think that he completely dominates every scene he's in. I think he he it's one of my favorite performances actually. I I just really thought that just from watching it, I was just like every single scene you can't that he's in, and he's not in that much of the film, really. You know, for being the the supposed main character, uh, he just he, you just can't keep your eyes off him. He just sucks up all the air in the room. Uh, and I think it's just wonderful. I think that he so elegantly portrays that, you know, that that old class, the, you know, you don't get them anymore kind of gangsters, the, the you know, the everything's about appearances and it's all about the way that everything and making sure that the, the trains run on time, you know, being that great conductor at the top of, of this, you know, massive concerto of crime. Uh, I just think he's excellent. Uh, alongside that, the, the rest of the performances. I mean, Pacino's Michael. I think that the the arc that he goes across here, that the, the three act structure is is just so well preserved and and destroyed in the way that it has these two narratives. It splits off halfway through with the Sicily stuff. But I think the way that we see Michael turn, you know, it, it's it's absolutely excellent. You know, I'm going to talk about more after we cover both the first and second film. I'll talk about it, but. You know how I think that the the obvious thing about who the main character is is swapped in each film, but this film has a picture of, you know, Vito, Marlon Brando on, on the on the front on the theatrical poster. You know, the film The Godfather. You assume it's about Brando, but the wonderful thing this this film does is from the very first minute it is about Michael Corleone. It is about Al Pacino, but the film does a really good job of disguising that until late on, and then you sit back and you think. Wow, that was all about Michael. It doesn't matter what scene, doesn't matter who he's in, what scenes in it, doesn't matter who's talking. Every scene from 
the very first second to the end, the film is about Michael Corleone. No matter how good Brando is, the film is about Michael. And I think the film does a really good job of pretending that it's not. And you only realise at the end, the Godfather is not, the Godfather is not describing Vito. The, the Godfather is describing Michael. I see why it's got all, the, all, all the, the credit. Every single shot is perfect. The music is wonderful. The theme is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I don't think that this is has been aged by time. I think the pacing is wonderful. I think, you know, it's so easy for a three-hour film. It's such an easy criticism to have for a three-hour film that it feels long. But, I mean, when I watched it, you know, the second time in a week, you know, towards the end, I was like, oh, this may, is maybe a bit long. But I've since watched, uh, not the whole film, but I've watched the first uh hour and a half back uh, yesterday uh, which I think sums up how obsessed I am with this film that I've watched <laughs> this you know so much already um, I just think it's so excellently paced I just think it's like the same, same as we drive my car just because it's three hours doesn't mean it feels long I think it, it, you're conscious of the runtime, but it fits just so much in it's just a whole world the, the family from everyone from you know the intricate details we know about Talia Shire uh, and her husband from you know the, the, the head of the family to to the enforcers on the ground, like Luca Brazzi. Every character's iconic. The lines, I mean, it's just so many famous lines, you know, from, you know, the, the stuff that I obviously knew off the part of my hand before I came in, like, I'm going to make him an offer, you can't refuse, to the funnier lines, uh, like, uh, <laughs> leave the gun, take the cannoli, uh, to everything. It's just, everything's iconic. Everything's wonderful. Uh, I, I honestly, could, oh, there's so little I'd like to change about this. I think it, it's as close to perfection as ever. And I think, you know, it's such a fitting... Uh, you know, it's such a well-built reality that we can step into. It, it truly feels like you are in America in the forties, uh, and it, it's 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 timely yet timeless. It, it's just wonderful. It's brutal and beautiful. I I, I am in love with the Godfather, uh, and I think it really is one of the best films of all time. I mean, yeah, <laughs> everything that you said basically, it's a. Uh... It's just incredible, and being able to see it in the cinema as well, uh, and it was the 4K restoration, it just looks so stunning, and it's so dark, the cinematography is so dark, um, but it works so well. And like you said, this it presents itself, and you assume because of, you know, it, everything about this film is kind of passed into myth, like Brando and how good it is. You assume that it's about... Vito and that Vito is the character and it's his arc and everyone else is kind of playing second and third fiddle but it's not it's about Michael and and Al Pacino you know was so young in this film not sure how old he was in this film but he was so young compared to Brando um and compared to how old he is now obviously because people age he was so so good to carry this film because this film doesn't work if Michael if the performance behind Michael is not flawless and Pacino absolutely does it I mean the turn you can track the turn to the moment that it happens and when we watched it together there was the scene uh, yeah we're, we're doing spoilers so I could do spoilers uh, the scene in the diner where Michael shoots those two people about five minutes before it happened you leant over to me and said is there a good can you recommend a moment to go to the toilet and I said, I just said, not now, because this is one of the best scenes in the entire franchise, and it's one of the best scenes ever filmed. Yeah, I think so. it's it's so good, and Pacino's acting in that scene where he doesn't say much, he doesn't have much to say, but you can see the anger on his face, you can see the nervous 
the nervousness of, of, of his character of Michael Corleone. Uh, because once he does this, there's no going back. You know, he's kind of the straight-edged member of the family who wants, who doesn't want to follow in his father's footsteps. He wants to be his own person. He wants to be an everyday American guy. Uh, and he knows that once he does this, there's no going back. And that is all excuse me, that is all over his face in this scene. And it's done so excellent this is one of this is if not the one of the best acted films ever um every performance is fantastic i don't think because it's got al pacino and marlon brando in it i don't think the supporting cast get enough credit but particularly robert duvall robert duvall is so excellent in this film as tom he's so fantastic he plays this character so well and he's so convincing as a person who's a member of the family but he's not kind of in the family uh, from blood, he's just there, he's kind of adopted, they've taken him in, and he does it so, so compellingly, and creates this character like a businessman within the family, and, it, and it's portrayed so well, and the the theme running throughout for me, like you said, it's about America, and, and it, it very much is, uh, you're right, but for me, it's about family, it's about loyalty to the family, um, you know, Al Pacino wants to live this normal life, or Michael wants to live this normal life, but through loyalty, he has to throw that away. He has to throw his uh, his steady relationship with Kay away because he has to get revenge for uh, what happens to to Vito. Uh, I mean, I don't think that. I mean, again, it's a very mute. It's a very you know, I'm, I'm arguing semantics, but you know that is not only him saying you know that he the loyalty that he has for his family implies makes that decision but he's also picking the mafia he's picking the underworld that that way of life because of his loyalty to the family he is p- picking that life over the the american life the american yeah. way his way as a veteran he, yeah that's he, true he, that itself you know is this that conversation because I, I remember i'm watching a youtube video uh someone talking about the, the this film and talking about you know, America within this. And some were saying, you know, it's summed up so simply by the fact that they, even from the first scene, they show that, that dichotomy because they, they clearly show that Michael has picked America over his family by having him dressed in his military outfit at his sister's wedding to begin the film and how that changed over the film by the end of the film, you know, him being in that chair with that suit on, you know. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, and it definitely is about America. Um, and it's just so genuinely flawless. <laughs> like you, you can't pick apart this film. There's nothing to nitpick. There's nothing to say. Oh, that could be better. You know, it it's so well done. And like uh, you said, uh, I'm basically echoing most of the things that you, that you said. Brando's performance is such a choice. It's so stylized. And very weirdly, when we uh, saw it, we compared it to Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Um, because we said it's such a choice that he committed to something so odd. And with with Jared Leto, it didn't work. With Brando in I this... I disagree. Okay, well, for me, Jared Leto in House of Gucci didn't work. But Brando in, uh, in The Godfather completely works. And he doesn't feel like a caricature of a, a a mafia boss or a mafia don he still feels very much like a person he still feels very much like a father and you know but but for me the standout of this film is al pacino al pacino's performance is 
one of the best ever put to film. I mean, it, it's truly fantastic. And, you know, you, we, you can't sing this film's praises enough. Um, you really can't. I mean, it just feels so real. So, you know, to say that this is based not on a true story, there are so many gangster films that are based on true stories. To say that the most famous one isn't based on a true story, and and like you say, it shows the pageantry of of that life, that life, and the the glamour of it all. It doesn't peel back the curtain and show you the the harsh reality. This is a fictionalized, uh, kind of stylized look at this uh, the gangster mafia way of life, and um, it does it so elegantly and so well. You know, it really feels like a business, comparing this to the likes of Goodfellas, where this feels like a legitimate business. Like, you watch and you think, they don't even feel like criminals. They don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. They just feel like they're business people. Um, and, and I just think it, it genuinely is. It's earned its reputation as one of the best films ever made because it is one of the best films ever made much like like you say exactly like Citizen Kane like 12 Angry Men it's earned its reputation and it deserves its reputation it's not overrated it's not one of those films where oh it's only good for 1972 it it's incredible it it's truly fantastic it has one of the best scripts obviously it's the godfather there's not much action there are, there aren't many explosions or action scenes it's very dialogue heavy um and it works so so well and and the same comparison that you made drive my car it's so well paced that it feels three hours it feels long it covers such a a big expanse of time and expanse of these people's lives um and you feel it you feel the length but not in a bad way it doesn't drag i mean we watched this when we were very tired and even then it didn't drag you know, I was never bored when watching it. I never thought, God, when can this end? It ended, and I was like, oh, I, need, I need more of this. I need it again. I need more because it's so well crafted and so unbelievably well done. And it's just, it's unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't, I can't remember the exact quote. I'm going to butcher it. But you saying about, you know, how it doesn't feel even like, what they're doing is illegal because of the 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 system that's built up and the way that jobs are, are pushed to other people and the way that they are they're almost free from you know cr- uh, they're free from punishment because of the the, the way that the, the ownership of the of the police the ownership of the courts the ownership of the judges that everything you know especially at the beginning you know the way the film opens everything is almost so so running so well that you don't even realize the reality of it. I can't remember the quote and I'm going to butcher it, but there's something that, that Michael says in, in the third film where he says something along the lines of like, um, the more legitimate you go, the more crooked it gets. Uh, and I think that there's a, almost a, a kind of a dichotomy between yeah. the first and the third film where th- it, it, it's so much more simple and it's so much more almost, it, it feels more morally correct when they're, they're doing it in a supposedly illegal way, even when, even though there's murder involved, it almost feels like this is the, this is a more acceptable way to do things than the, you know, the reality of what actually in the, is supposedly the legal world, the amount of, of two timing and, um, and, legal loopholes and bullshit that happens in in the legal world it almost you know makes it almost seems to justify the, the these kind of group of of murderers 
you know, even though, yeah. of course, the the titular godfather doesn't believe himself to be a murderer. He very early on says, you know, we're not murderers, no matter what this um, grave digger, the undertaker says. You know, he, he's very adamant that he's he only has to you know use force when necessary. You know, but realistically, they are murderers. Um, it's just an interesting you know way that, that they put it. It's, it's, I feel like we could do a podcast on every aspect of these films, you know. Oh, yeah. We could talk about the plot in so much detail and, and the cinematography and the acting and such. I think what's interesting with the, the plot is, say, it's three hours long, but it doesn't feel it, or it doesn't feel... Not necessarily it doesn't feel it, but it never becomes tiresome. Do you think it's because it it really mixes... And it does more clearly in the second film, but even in this, it, it, it mixes, uh, you know, one A to B narrative with small kind of vignettes small self-contained plots you know the the johnny fontaine situation where you know the famous horse's head you know michael in sicily you know the you know it always feels like it's kind of a a b plot which resolves itself going alongside the 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 a plot do you you think that's one of the reasons why it doesn't feel tiresome because we're not stuck with these same characters for such a long time at uh, any point yeah i think that's definitely one of the reasons i mean every five minutes you get a different thing that they need to resolve you have the things going on with Vito Vito obviously the assassination attempt happens to him you've got the thing with the horse's head you've got Michael in Sicily you've got the murders that Michael commits you've got Sonny's murder you've got Michael coming back it's so fast paced even though it's mostly there's a lot of just people sitting and speaking but there's so much happening but I I, I genuinely think that the main reason it doesn't feel tiresome the main reason that it um it flows so well is just because of how good it is (laughs) and i know that seems like a a stupid thing to say but i just think it's so good that i could watch it for you know i could watch a six hour cut of this film because it's just so excellent that there's nothing that could make me bored because i just want more of it i mean yes it's paced well because it's fast and it's constantly moving along but also, even the moments where it's slow, when it's just Vito talking to a room full of people, or it's just Michael uh, walking through fields in Sicily, it's still just perfect. There's so many themes going on underneath the dialogue that you have, and not only are the visuals fantastic and the acting is fantastic, but everything relates back to what's everything that michael's doing in sicily relates back to what's happening back in uh, america and everything that's happening in america relates back to what's happening with michael in sicily and that's a lot more relevant in the second one as you said but um even in this one it's still there it's still very prevalent and it just makes the whole film to nevada midway through the plot yeah you know they they go to hollywood half through the plot i mean stuff with Carlo, you know, Connie's husband, you know, it yeah, doesn't yeah. seem to be, and everything, everything influences the main plot. There's no, there's no scene that could be cut out. It's like a house of with, cards, you know, at the, at the top yeah. you have Michael and Vito. And then at the bottom, you've got kind of, uh, Carlo and what's, uh, what's Talia Shire's character called? Oh, uh, Connie. Connie. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you've got Carlo and Connie, and it's all supporting Michael and, and Vito. Yeah. And none of it is unnecessary. And if you take, I genuinely think, if you take one small piece out, everything just falls apart. If you take out the plot with Connie and and Carlo and Carlo betraying the family, then you lose Michael's arc. You lose yeah. a huge part of Michael's arc. Everything supports everything, 
Um, and it, it's just amazing. We could talk for hours about just you could talk for hours about the opening scene of the first film, let alone the entire tri- trilogy. Well, interesting. That's what I was going to go next. Um, yeah, I, I say that there, there is. I think as well is that there's so many characters that I I know the names of in this film. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, the, the narrative is so wide, and there are people that are in one scene that I think is almost iconic. You know, Mo Green. He just shows up for like yeah. two minutes, and it's like you know, and and Johnny Fontaine, who's you know, even though he's he's his character's impact. Is it on? He 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 directly impacts one of the most famous scenes in film history, actually, with yeah. the horse's head. He is only actually in the film for um for mere minutes, even across the whole trilogy. You know, he, he shows up again. You got Father Part Three, but he's only in it for a minute or two. Um, it, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. I, I arguably, you know, some of the stuff that happens at the beginning, um isn't necessarily important to the main plot. The Johnny Fontaine subplot doesn't actually affect the main plot uh, in the same way that a lot of the other things like Connie and Carlo do. Yeah. But I think it's just, you know, it's just painting the picture to a bit wider degree. I think it's, you know, it's set up. This is, that is showing the normality. You know, this is what the life is normally like before the events of, before drugs get involved in the system. Yeah. It establishes the themes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the same way of, the, the excellent opening scene uh, yeah. talking to, to Bonacera, uh, even though that doesn't affect anything, that shows what, what life is usually like before everything starts to go tits up. So do you know who Salvatore Corsito is? No. Salvatore is he Corsito the is, the opening scene? is the, yeah, the first person you yeah. see in the one of the most watched, one of the most loved films ever. And I don't think anyone... Uh, walking out, would 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 know his name. He's not even got a Wikipedia page. Um, yeah. he, he plays Bonacera. He opens up the film with the lines, um, "I believe in America," and the monologue that follows it. I think uh, you know it's it's a wonderfully acted scene from the two of them. I actually think that the Bonacera's acting in it is absolutely impeccable. Um, mm. In the, in that scene, he he talks about you know why did I weep? Uh, the, the, you know, some of the, the dialogue that he says is just wonderful. The delivery is beautiful. And the way that he says Don Corleone is, is just, just, uh, it's like sex in your ears. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that, that I just want to ask, you know, that scene, that first scene, when you see the Godfather with, with the cat, when you hear Bonacera, uh, requesting this, when he talks about justice, you know, I'm sure this is a scene that, that, you know, you won't have to be reminded of. Um, you know, what do you think that does to just set up the whole the whole trilogy, really? I mean, it's perfect, isn't it? I mean, even the fact that the opening scene begins with a close-up of a character who shows up in that scene and then never again, basically. Um, and then it just slowly zooms out for a good minute or so. It just slowly zooms out from his face. And I think that that shows kind of the the slowness of the film, the fact that this film is not scared to take its time. Uh, to to elaborate on plot or elaborate on themes and it, it's such a, a wonderful scene that really just establishes mainly veto on what is expected of the godfather you know later on michael uh, we see this scene basically as the template of what michael needs to become um the disconnect between that scene because i i think if i remember correctly we cut from that scene to michael uh on his uh, with K in his military uniform 
Or, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the disconnect between the two is striking, and you don't realise it until after you've seen the film, or if you've seen it before, you, you obviously are aware of it, that this is basically showing us what Michael needs to become and what Michael currently is. And it's so fantastically executed how how calm uh, Vito is. You know, he's not angry, he's not screaming, he's not shouting, he's not being aggressive. He's calm and soft and kind. Um, you, you know, he almost tricks you into thinking that he's harmless uh, and, you know, he could never do anything wrong or, or hurt anyone. And then you remember that this conversation, you know, someone's life is at stake in this conversation. They're discussing whether or not Vito's going to kill someone. Um but it feels like such a calm conversation and it sets up the vibe of the entire trilogy for me. Um, the kind of elegance of, you know, discussing something so brutal, so elegantly is what the Godfather is. You know, this, most of this film is very soft and very euphemistic. There's the odd break, like Sonny's murder is very brutal, but most of it is very, I think the perfect word for it is elegant. It's very soft and, and uh you know the it, it's the beautiful lies you know it's uh it does not show you the harsh reality it shows you the the artifice of this life that they've created for themselves um and i think it does it perfectly okay um well i completely i completely agree um I'm going to give a shout out to another podcast here, um, which I've done a few times. I did that last week. I um, have been listening. I have been obsessed with The Godfather since I saw it. I, I mean, I've become, I'm very, very into it. I'm very much enjoying it. Uh, and I very much, you know, love the whole world of it. And one thing I've been doing to to further expand my interest is I've been listening to a, a great little podcast um, from the same people that have done a number of these kind of different related shows. I'm sure people have heard of it. It's a lot more famous than ours is. Uh, and it's The Godfather Minute. Um, where two brothers um, review The Godfather minute by minute, the trilogy minute by minute, and you know have 35, 45 minute conversations about every individual minute of the film. Um, and I've watched, like, I've listened to how many hours of it, and we're still fucking talking about that opening scene still because it's you know <laughs> such a, it's quite a long scene. Um, but I think I'd shout out because it's very interesting. And I think it paints, it shows the fact that you there are not that many films I'd want to hear people talk about every individual minute. I know, of, yeah. Um, they also do one of uh, for the first Star Wars film, and I, you know I think that film into every individual minute of, of the first Star Wars is interesting enough to talk about. Um, but yeah, I think The Godfather is definitely one of those that that works for it. Um, yeah, uh, as I previously mentioned, um, did very well at the Oscars. Of course, won won Best Picture. Um, was also uh, also won. Uh, so what did it won? It won. Best Picture, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, yet he did decline it because of the treatment of Native Americans um, in, in American cinema at the time. So, um, so good on Marlon Brando. Yeah. Um, it also won Best Adapted Screenplay for Puzo and Coppola and received nominations for Director, um, Supporting Actor for James Kahn, Robert DeVal, Al Pacino, and Al Pacino, uh, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Score, which then got taken away because they realised that the... Uh, Nina Rota, who did the uh, composer for it, uh, actually had previously used one of the pieces of music or something in a film like ten years before. So it, it, the nomination was revoked. Originally, was a nomination for score as well. Um, so, so of course, you know, talking of that, the the weird thing is 
they put Al Pacino in a supporting actor, right? That's the weird yeah. thing, yeah. But I mean, I I think you know, I think personally, I think that they that in the in the ideal world, it would have been that that Pacino and Brando both got nominations for best actor, and then Duvall and Khan both got supporting actor nominations. Um, but I think the famous thing with supporting actor having three of the five nominations being um, Godfather uh, nominations, it it split the vote. Um, which led to a uh, performance from, from Cabaret winning instead. And I think a lot of people say, you know, great performance, but not Love of the Godfather because the, the split the vote. But yeah, if you, assuming that Pacino was the, the did, you know, was the, was the best actor here. Uh, Brando was, there's a lot of sport performances that weren't talked about here. You know, of course, um, alongside the, the nominated ones, you know, people that, you know, um, the performances as Salazzo, I think he's wonderful as yeah. well in, in small time. But uh, if you and John Casale is obviously very little, but after the main two, would you say Robert Duvall was was the best supporting performance in this film, uh, male from, and female? Talia Jai, Diane Keaton. Who would you say was the best supporting performance here? Um, for me, it's Robert Duvall. Yeah. Okay, just just want to get some some interest in that. What I would say probably agree. I do think James Khan isn't talked to that in, in contemporary conversation like the Godfather. I don't think um, James Khan's performance is talked about enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, give me a rating for the Godfather out of ten, please. <laughs> well, um, it's ten out of ten. It's a ten out of ten. It's a ten out of ten. It's easier ten out of ten. Yeah, definitely. Um, next question though. Which is man of the match? Now Ooh. this is not easy, is it? This, this is, is not easy. Insanely difficult. I forgot we were doing this. <laughs> I haven't thought about this. This yes. is difficult. So you've got Coppola's direction, Puzo's writing, Brando, Pacino, Duval. Oh, this is insanely difficult. You know, cinematography is beautiful. Cinematography is amazing in this. What are you going for? I think I'm gonna go. Oh, I don't know. I am going to go. I see. It's, it's really tough. I'm gonna go for Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola for screenplay. I think this is one of the best written screenplays. Of all time. My heart wants it to go for Brando, but in all yeah. honesty, the film is so great because it is just one of the best written pieces of, of art in any form ever. I mean, I'm sure the book is just as good and I haven't got around to view the book yet, but it, it's just absolutely wonderful. You know, we talk about the, the progression and the, the arc that, that Michael's character goes on, um, but it doesn't happen over one, one event. We see so many little ways that he gets ticked off and the events, you know, seeing his father fall at first, you know, getting him into that life, dragging him away from that. You know, he's with his wife at the theatre. They're talking about contemporary American you know Audrey Hepburn, and he's ripped away from that by the, his his son's uh, his 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 uh, father's supposed killing. Uh, him getting ripped away from that life, and then having to stay with it. That happens. Then seeing you know people coming to to try and find his father f- furthers him on that turn, makes him thinking more in the way they do. Have making the decision to kill Salazzo, making the, the actually having to really kill Salazzo and McCluskey, seeing his wife uh, killed in in Sicily, all these things slowly turning him more and more, hearing that Barzini was going to, to assassinate all these decisions slowly setting him up for the character he is going to be in the second film, the way that those little elements are woven, I mean the Godfather 
feels more like a painting than a film. Honestly, it, 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 I think I think that, that none of that would work without the excellent writing of Mary Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. So that for me, the man that actually is is for the screenplay. I think I was I was deciding between what you've said and Al Pacino because I think everything that you said is not possible without a performance to back it up. No, I do agree. And I think um, it is very difficult because a performance like Pacino's is not possible without a screenplay, screenplay like Puzo and Coppola, uh, like the one that they gave. But the screenplay cannot be executed without a performance as good as Pacino's. So I think I'm going to give it, just to be different, I'm going to give it to Pacino because he really does give one of the most layered, complex performances. And he carries off this subtle arc so 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 well i mean it's difficult to emphasize if you if you listen to this and you haven't seen it it's difficult to emphasize how well he does this i mean there are so many scenes where he's not speaking he's not saying anything but you get every single ounce of what's going through his head um and that's that's through uh pacino's performance and backed up by the screenplay obviously but um for me pacino in the godfather is is top notch man of the match Okay, um, that's completely fair, and that was that was one that I was also considering. But um, yeah, the performances. Whilst I, I don't know, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's really hard to compare Pacino and and um, Brando's performances because they're so different. Yeah. Um, it really is. I, I honestly, it's actually hard to say. I mean, I think I probably like. I I think because of the kind of almost re- the the tightrope that Brando walks, and the fact that I don't think he fails. I think the fact that he manages to do that, even that he's he's kind of so close to the sun with with it being absurd. <laughs> yeah. I almost have more respect for it, mouth. which means that I think. But I also do think that Pacino's performance is is obviously far more subtle, mm. um, and also you know almost equally excellent. Um, okay, so The Godfather Part Two. Now, you don't know my thoughts on this to the same degree, right? So yeah, we spoke at length like... about part one, but we've only kind of chatted briefly about part two. Okay, so now on to The Godfather part two. So this is this came out in 1974, two years after the first one, uh, based on a small section of Mario Puzo's original novel um, about Vito, but largely original, um, mainly you know new stuff, set after the end of the first Godfather book, or the, the main Godfather book, uh, starring basically all the people that survived the first one with some new names, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, uh, Talia Shire, uh, John Gazzale, but then also new additions such as Robert De Niro, Lee Strasberg, and uh, Michael V. Gazzo, or which of those three received supporting actor nominations. Uh, and of course, uh, a, a number of other people, Morgana King, a young Sophia Coppola again, uh, and more. So, The Godfather Part Two is a prequel and a sequel to the first film, of course, uh, showing both the early days of uh, Vito, played here by uh, a very young Robert De Niro. Um, I believe he got nominated for BAFTA's uh, Most Promising like Newcomer to Film Award for this film, which is kind of funny to see now, thinking Robert De Niro is someone that's kind of always been there. Um, <laughs> but De Niro's first first um, like uh, acclaimed performance um, here, playing a young Vito Corleone in, in, well, beginning in the 1900s, but then uh, kind of in the 1920s and such. Uh, and then also alongside that, you know, that subplot, the main plot um, following Michael Corleone, uh, played by Al Pacino a few years after the end of the first film. Uh, by this time, 
between the two films. Vito obviously died at the end of the last film, so this film, without Vito, the family have moved to Nevada um, and have tried to begin legitimising or trying to find more legitimate ways to to do business, as Michael did promise to Kay in the first film. Uh, And part of him doing that involves uh, a hit on his life uh, as he's trying to invest in the casino, uh, the world of casinos. Uh, he also has to deal with someone trying to kill him in his in his house. So he has to, whilst trying to work out um, who tried to, to, to murder him, he's also at the same time trying to close deals which involve him going to Cuba at the time of the revolution. So, uh, two stories here. Um, uh, and once again, one of the most acclaimed films of all time, once again, lofty expectations, but... Having seen the first film, of course, I knew I loved the first film. I, so I came to this thinking, it doesn't matter how high the expectations are, I'm sure this is going to be good. Uh, this is the first sequel to ever win uh, Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, only one sequel has won an Oscar uh, for Best Picture since, uh, which was, do you know? Uh, Return of the King, right? Return of the King, Lord yeah. of the Rings, Return of the King. So it's one of the two sequels, and it was, of course, the first. It's often called one of the greatest sequels, if not the greatest sequel of all time. It's also often in the conversation for a sequel better than a first film. So we'll see yeah. if either of us believe that, or whether we think The Godfather 1 stands tall, or whether they are indistinguishable in their ability. Uh, of course, also uh, a large amount of other Oscar wins, uh, including... Uh, Best Director for Francis Ford Coppola, um, Robert De Niro, uh, Swing Actor, and uh, Adapted Screenplay for Coppola, uh, and other wins, uh, other awards, including Pacino winning the BAFTA. Pacino, of course, lost Best Actor at the Oscars, however, um, so he did not win an Oscar until the, the 90s. So, The Godfather Part 2. So, what do I think? Um, well, uh, first and foremost, to get it out there, I loved it, obviously, right? So wow, I think shocked. that having loved the first <laughs> film, I love the second. Um, the Godfather Part Two, obviously taking place in a, in a slightly different world. I think the fact that uh, just talking about the Michael plot, really, the fact that it isn't in New York it makes a whole world of difference. The kind of that classic. Um, you know, the archetypal mafia story is no longer there due to the new location and his actions. He's not, you know, it's not the same way of of uh, him sitting back in his big chair, granting favours in the same way. He is more actively involved in the action. And the fact that he sees himself going to Cuba kind of shows the way that the, the even something so ancient as, as you know, organised crime, the mafia, you know, has to move on with the times. You know, you know, drugs are already being accepted in the system. They talk about how the the empire has been left behind in New York, but they're focusing on on uh, on Cuba and the gambling industry. Um, I think the Pacino is even better than here he than he's in the first film. Um, I think that that it's obviously more of a, a subtle performance in the first film due to the fact that a large amount of the film he hasn't kind of cracked yet. But I think here he puts in an even better performance as someone that is struggling to almost accept how evil he has become. He's, he's, he's kind of at ends with his own character. Some of the conversations he has with Kayla in the film means I don't think he even realised the extent of his own actions at times. He's so wrapped up in the world. Um, and I, I think that he, he's just absolutely exceptional here. I think that the one thing that stands out almost better, I think better here 
maybe due to the flashiness of it, but one thing I think stands out here uh, is the production design, both in the old plot and in the new, in Cuba. It, it just looks wonderful. It looks beautiful. It's such a, a wonderful place to shoot. And I think um, mixing that in with with trying to deal with real-life events, of course, the Cuban Revolution, uh, was a, a risky one and one that could have really aged it, one that could have really fell flat, that could have almost embarrassed it. Um I think works fine. I think it works really well. Uh, along with that, a large amount of the performance, uh, a few performances uh, who that, you know, from characters that were smaller in the previous ones, uh, namely Fredo, you know, he comes here. John Cazale, um, I don't know if I pronounced the name correctly, was in five films, all of which were nominated for Best Actor. The uh, Best Actor. All, he was in five films, all of which were nominated for Best Picture before before he sadly died. Um, and I'll have to get around to watching The Conversation and, 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 and uh, Deer Hunter, uh, but in this, he is just wonderful. Fredo, as that kind of outcast member, the black sheep of the family, uh, it's just wonderful um, seeing him um, really try and make a name for himself in, in a room where everybody's shouting so loud that can, he can barely be heard. Uh, and some of the actions he does here inspire some of the most memorable moments in the, the franchise. You know, the, the I Know It Was You kiss. I mean, it's just just wonderful. Um I think that, that some of the best stuff that happens in the entire film, in the entire trilogy, however, happens in the time we spend with Robert De Niro's Vito Corleone, which, of course, you know, the performance-wise, you know, you can never compare to, to Marlon Brando, but, of course, you know, Robert De Niro, who doesn't decide to, you know, with, you know these days they'd use de-aging, they'd use... You know, they'd make someone that's a Brando impersonator. They'd make him look exactly like a young Brando. Um, but but De Niro doesn't. He he just, you know, he's not particularly makeup type. He just uses the ability that he has to, to mimic or or his take on what that character would have been like at his time to really make us still feel like it's Vito, despite the fact that we have no easy indication that it is Vito. Um, I think that the production design, especially in that section, being transformed and transported into into that really early, you know, 1910s, 1920s uh, New York. It's just a wonderful thing. And I felt like every single moment I was there was wonderful. I feel like, you know, it said, you know, the, the quote that uh, that Venice is, is Truman Capote to eat, tro- uh, quote that, that Venice is like eating a whole box of chocolates at once. You know, I feel like it would be an overindulgence to spend all of our time with Vito in that world because it's kind of too, you know, like it's too much of a, a, a kind of, I say a caricature, it's too much of a, uh, it's, it's glossy and it's kind of perfect. It's that impression of what we have back then. I think it would be too much to have a whole film there. Um, but in, in, in kind of placing a little scene here, a little scene there, even though it has no real plot implications, just to give us a feeling of, of the difference between Vito's early reign as, as Don and Michael's early reign as Don, I think it's a really interesting little uh, connection, a little interesting juxtaposition to use a word I've already used today. Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I think that I talked about in the first film how you, it, it's secretly about Michael. You know, the film is it's the Godfather, picture of Marlon Brando on the, on the poster, uh, Marlon Brando everywhere, everyone talking about Marlon Brando, but it's actually about Michael. It's actually about Al Pacino. The second and third films, but the second film, well, both of them, but especially the second, I think, um, they trick you into thinking that the film is about Michael, but every scene, regardless of who's, whether Al Pacino's on the, 
on the screen or if, or if Robert De Niro is. Every single scene in this film, every single moment in this film is about Vito. This is a film about Vito Corleone. The third film is a film about Vito Corleone. The world in his shadow, them trying to recreate his greatness in a in a poor image, the way that Michael's family, the way that he treats his family fails in the way that Vito's did. And everything about this is comparative to Vito. And whether Michael outwardly says it or not, I think it's about how he sees himself in, alongside Vito. And even the events of Fredo, you know, Fredo, what he does is because that Vito isn't there. Um, because v- because there, there is no longer Vito. So the whole film is about the world after Vito and the world looking back from Vito, you know, looking down upon them. Um, and I think that the decision to have that early Vito stuff here instead of in the first film, like it should kind of technically be when it comes to the book, I think is just a good way of reminding the viewer that that, that is how it is. Uh, and and I just I, I think that that time we spend with Vito in the early time sets the tone for the whole film, but also... Um, it's just wonderful in its own right. I, I've not seen the Godfather Legacy, which is the the TV cut um, that that came out in this in nineteen seventy seven, where you know it was all shown chronologically and had extra deleted scenes. But you know you could see the the whole film you know with Vito first. I don't know how that would be. That'd be an interesting experiment to go see that. But I think how it's placed in the mini throughout this really sets the tone for Michael. I think um, I, I'd really be hard pressed to choose between the Godfather Part One and Part Two because I think they are they're so close. But almost everything excellent about the first one is replicated here. Um, the loss of Brando isn't felt because he is still so involved in everything. Uh, and I think where it goes is really, truly interesting um, and unpredictable. I think a lot of the form of sporting performances are maybe less uh, kind of talked about these days. Um, but Lee Strasberg's Harlan Roth is an absolutely excellent uh, adversary, and I think that, 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 that the whole film is, is is filled with those wonderful little uh, characters and wonderful little moments that I could talk about forever. But perhaps less iconic, but I don't think any less great. Uh, the Godfather Part Two. Mm. Yeah. Again, basically everything that you said, um, it is. It's one of the best examples of having a dual narrative, of having Michael in the present day. Well. Not present day, but, you know, present day in terms of the, the plot of The Godfather. And then flashbacks to, to Vito, it's it's a flawless example of having a dual narrative because they're telling the same story, basically. Um, Vito's flashback scenes are all about him rising to become the man that we knew in, in The Godfather Part 1. And Michael's scenes are all about him trying to become the man that we knew in Godfather Part 1 uh, being Vito. Um, it, it's they're all it's a it's a mirror, you know the the two the flashbacks and the present day stuff. They're they're mirroring one another. They're they're perfect, uh, complementary stories that work so well together. I think perhaps controversially, I do prefer the first one to the second one. Um, I just think it's a lot. Uh, I, I I I well, it's difficult to say why because it's so. The second one is perfect. Like the first one's perfect, the second one's perfect. So I I can't really justify why I prefer the first one. I just do. Um, and like you said, I'm glad that you mentioned it because the production design in the second one is next level. The the stuff in the flashback scenes are it's unbelievable production design. It really is. And the stuff in 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 Cuba, like you say, and even the stuff not in Cuba, even the stuff when they're in Las Vegas, it's just. It's fantastic, you know, the Corleone house 
it's all amazing. Some of the best production design ever. And I think everything that the first one lacked, which is almost nothing, this one improves upon. You know, Diane Keaton and Talia Shire didn't have much to do in the first one. In this one, they they feel like they have actual roles, they have actual purposes, uh, particularly Diane Keaton's uh, Kay. Kay is much more involved with this, and I think it, it works really well. She, obviously, Diane Keaton brings her A-game, as she always does, and she's fantastic in this film, and the scenes that they share with one another, Kay and Michael, Kay really does hold her own, uh, and I'm not talking about the actors here, you know, I'm not saying Diane Keaton holds her own against Al Pacino, I'm saying Kay holds her own as a character against Michael. Michael is this dominating force, you know, the tour de force of the character. And compared to him, Kay, uh, in the first one, certainly was a lot more timid, quiet. She didn't really uh, do anything. Um, and in this one, she tries to stand up for herself as best she can. And she does it so fantastic, so fantastically. And it just, it's so well executed. This has one of the best screenplays ever. I think this has, uh, it, it does have a better screenplay than the first one because it does deal with this dual narrative. You know, the first one also has a dual narrative. Like we said, it's it's Vito and Michael. But this one has a much more literal one, one that's much more difficult to link together. You know, it's much more difficult to link together a story set in the 1910s and one set in the 50s or 60s or 40s, I can't remember what it is, I think it's the 50s and 60s, um, but yeah, it, it's much more difficult to link those two together thematically, but seeing everything that Vito does in the past um, complements everything that Michael does, and everything that Michael does complements everything that Vito does, um, and, and like you say, De Niro's performance, many actors nowadays would kind of do a, 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 a Brando impression and give it the whole... Uh, and put cotton balls in their mouths, and, and De Niro didn't do that. He he gave his own take on the character, but still made it very recognisably um, uh, Vito Corleone. And it's just, it is all so excellently done. And the the I think the, for me the standout in this film, perhaps very weirdly, um, not performance-wise, but character-wise, is Fredo. Because he has such a change from the first one, he... He really feels like a victim in this one, uh, you know, especially when, spoilers, when he gets killed at the end, um, you feel really sorry for him, and the relationship that he builds with Anthony, uh, Michael's son, Michael and Kay's son, is so special, because he just, you know, Fredo's always been the outsider, he's always been the weird, quirky son of, of Vito, and his relationship gets completely decimated with his brother and with the entire family. The only person that doesn't feel this way is um, Connie, who still feels, you know, he's he's her brother and they're still very close. Um, but when Michael says, We're, we can't kill him, we can't do anything to him until uh, my mother's died, um, that really it hit me because I thought... But Fredo's, it, you know, Fredo just feels like this kid who's lost and he's made a mistake, even though he's not. And I think John Casale, is that his name? John Casale? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think he pulls off that, that vibe of being the older brother, but feeling like the child who's lost and who feels like, you know, uh, rudderless and doesn't know what to do. And they make mistakes and they try and make up for the mistakes. And again, Al Pacino giving an unbelievable performance just doesn't care. And he cares about loyalty and it's actually at the end of the first film i forgot to say this in the first one it's the end of the first film when he says fredo um i'm getting the quote wrong here but to paraphrase he says fredo you're my brother and i love you 
but never take sides against the family ever again. Ever. Mm-hmm. And Fredo does exactly that in the second film. And it's just, it's so tragic, and Fredo's arc in this film is just so sad for 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 me to see. I really felt sorry for him. But everything about this film, the um, Michael Vigazzo, um, his plotline with he's coming forward and he's giving information, but then he changes his mind and he's not giving information. It's all done. It, it, it's just done so expertly. And this, I mean, it's fantastic. And the more I speak about it, this is what's complicated about The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 is I said I prefer the first one and I do prefer the first one, but the more I've spoken about the second one, I thought... Maybe I prefer the second one because they're both perfect, so it's difficult to pick which one you prefer. But um, but yeah, I mean, like you you said specifically, you don't feel the loss of Brando because he's been replaced with De Niro, um, and I, it's just amazing. It's it's all amazing. This film, it's amazing. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I mean the the cold like De Niro's relationship with the Godfather is really strange. Like him coming out with them now it feels really weird like at the Oscars because it's like he was in a completely different film to everyone else it was differently shot it wasn't starring any of the actors it was completely different but then yet he is still as integral a piece of the the Godfather picture the Godfather puzzle than anything else Um, but yeah I I, I definitely agree with what you say about John Casale's Fredo I kind of briefly touched on it when I rambled my review Um, this is a far more emotional film than the first one is I think yeah even though we see a lot of, of death and obviously there's the baptism of fire at the end of the first one where almost everyone dies, but we also see Sonny die and we see Vito die. We see Vito nearly die. Um, and, and we see Co- and Co- Connie's husband die. We see everyone die in the first film. Even though there's so much death, it it doesn't feel necessarily very emotional except for one or two scenes, you know, when, when Brando reacts to, to Sonny's death, for example, the, the look how yeah. mask my boy thing. There's not that many emotional moments in the first film, really. In the second film, however, uh, I think there's far more emotional moments and I think a lot of them centre around Fredo. I think um, I previously mentioned that, that there's that, that wonderful moment, arguably one of the highlights of the franchise. The franchise felt wrong, sorry. One of the highlights of the trilogy. <laughs> one of the highlights of the cinematic um, universe. Cinematic universe um, is is when is when Michael finds out when he he tells Fredo you know I know it was you yeah. you know when, when he kisses him I know it was you I mean that's an emotional moment um, that's devastating though. and when Fredo goes on his monologue about how he how he's treated and how he feels and how he's you know the older brother and you know he's being marched around how everyone thinks he's stupid but but he's not. Uh, that is an emotional moment. His his outburst there, and and ultimately one of the the saddest moments. You know, you could compare it to anything. The sad moments when, you know, I think no matter the decisions he makes, no matter the the things he does against the family, the no matter the the betrayal, I think everybody in the that's watching the film is rooting for Fredo as one of the only people in the film that isn't outright awful. You know, along yeah. with with Diane Keaton's K, really. Um, and the scene when Connie begs Michael to forgive Fredo as well, because Michael kind of says, I'm yeah, not sure, speaking to him, I don't like him. Um, when Connie kind of character... begs him as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But yeah, everyone rooting for him. Everyone yeah. one thinking he's one of the the good ones. And then seeing you know, that, that moment when you realise that he's going to be killed and going out on his own and 
supposedly drowning, you know, when he's shot in the back of the head, it's, it's just it's just uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. I think that comes from a, a really great performance. Um, when you're looking at how it did, you know, at the time with awards and such, you know, um, the three nominations supporting actor were, were De Niro, um, which is understandable. He won it, deserved it. Uh, Lee Strasberg and, and Michael V. Gazzo. Um I think people look at watching this now and may think that's interesting. You know, no Robert Duvall, no John Casale. Um, I, I think that, I, I've, I'm to be honest, looking into it, I think Lee Strasberg got nominated because he's one of the most loved acting teachers of all time. I yeah. think that's the main reason, personally. Uh, he's great, sure, he's great. But I think it's just because everyone in the industry loves him so much that, that they nominate him. Um, but I think Michael V. Gazzo's nomination is Frank Pangeli is really interesting and I think that's a, that's great that's a really good nomination because I yeah. think it's a performance that might go under the radar otherwise and I think that goes um, to show how well acted this film is and all the films in the franchise are franchise in the in the trilogy are because it's um you know he's not one of the main like he's not one of the main ones he's not even one of the main supporting ones he's this very he's this character in this performance from the story that lives on the periphery of the the Godfather part 2 and yet He's still good enough to get an Oscar nomination, and when you heard heard that he got, when you heard that he got an Oscar nomination, you thought that's amazing, that's a brilliant nomination that they gave, and I think that just goes to show how well acted this film is. That even the performances on the periphery are deserving of Oscars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to say Strasberg's. You know, I'd love to take give Strasberg's nomination to to John Cazale. Um but yeah. I think Vigazzo, even that's untraditional, is not what you'd imagine. I think he is deserving. As yeah, I think he's very deserving. I think he, Frank Pengelly, um is wonderful performance, and and um, both early on as a friend and by the end as a kind of confused semi foe. Uh, I think he's just wonderful. Um, obviously, that's backed up by a script that allows him to do that due to the wonderful writing that that has the whole uh, kind of constant battle between um, Pengelly and and. Hiram Roth and and Roth's associates, even though they didn't actually ever kind of come in contact. Um, but I think it still leads to to Victor Gazzo putting in a great performance. Um, interestingly, Talia Shire gets a nomination as well as supporting actress for for her performance as, yeah. as Connie, um, which I think is actually pretty ridiculous to be honest, because I think she's better in the first film. I think she's better in the third film. Um, she's not really in the second film for much at all. Now she's great when she's in it, um, but two good scenes compared to an absolutely powerhouse performance from Diane Keaton. I think it's hard to compare them, really. I think yeah, Diane I'm surprised is... that they both didn't get nominated. I'm not so I'm not so mad that she got nominated because I think she's fantastic and she deserves it. But um, it's mad that she got nominated over Diane Keaton. Seeing that, when I saw the nomination, I assumed coming into this film that she was going to have a much bigger role, but I don't think she does at all, so it's interesting. But she's obviously a wonderful actress anyway. Um, yeah. You know, this and, of course, uh, in Rocky. Um yeah, I feel like I'm not talked enough about, about what happens in it, but I, I just think it's wonderful. I love that the a lot of people seem to be judging off the internet. Not a lot of people because there's not that many people that hate the Godfather, but people that have problems with it, did have a problem with with the um, the kind of uh, Senate hearing section of the film. But I didn't think that felt long at all. I felt like it feels like four, four or five minutes. I don't I didn't think that at all as being like long and drawn out. I, I thought they get that through quite quickly. Yeah, uh, I agree. personally. Uh, it's amazing how much they fit in these these two films. I know that it's six out six and a half hours. You know the two films combined, 
and it's often described as a duology even now because people dislike the third film. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how much plot they actually fit in because so much actually happens. There's so many characters, so many moving parts. It's wonderful that they actually managed to fit so much stuff in here. Um, it just feels like there's a hundred stories here. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's wonderful. Godfather's is wonderful. Um, what rating would you give it out of 10? Again, 10 out of 10. Yeah, again, 10 out of 10. Again, 10 out of 10. Easily again, 10 out of 10. Um, a man in the match here. Do you think is is it you gonna stick with Pacino, or do you think there's somebody else that, or whether it's the writing or, or the directing, is there something else that you think in the second one stands out a bit more? We talked about production design. I was, I, you know, I feel like we haven't even spoken about Pacino nearly as much as we should have done, but um, he is fantastic. But I'm not gonna give it to Pacino again. I am this time gonna give it to. Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo for the screenplay because as I said I think the fact that this is a flawlessly executed dual narrative is down to how well it's done with the screenplay so yeah I think that's uh, that's where I'm going to go and I think as well De Niro's performance doesn't work without having such a, a subtle screenplay surrounding that uh, version of Vito and I think the stuff with uh, with Fredo that we spoke about doesn't have the same weight without the flawlessness of this screenplay and all the you know like you said it's more emotional this one and i think it's more emotional because of the screenplay so yeah uh, puzo and coppola for the screenplay are my men of the match uh i i am i am going to stick with the same thing which means i'm going to agree with you um for everything i talked about really i just think uh I mean, with even the, within the central narrative, within the one main narrative, forget that there was any scenes with Vito in it. The one narrative seems like it goes in so many different ways. Yeah, it's like there are so many mini stories. That's the true. The stuff yeah. at the beginning with the the um, the government, you know, when he's dealing with the the senator, uh, then going to to find out what happens, to then going to Cuba, to then doing the um, the Senate hearings, to cleaning up shop, to dealing with. Uh, the event dealing with what's going on off screen in in New York, it's it's amazing how many small little self contained stories there are that kind of um, either do or do not sometimes affect the events of the rest of them. Um, yeah, it's just obviously the screenplay is just wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now this is the interesting bit. But we we will come back and talk about both films in in a wider context if you fancy doing that uh, and the series in total. Uh, finally. Uh, afterwards, but now we're moving on to the Godfather, the Godfather Part Three, which is the most uh, contentious, most you know, controversial, the kind of the 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 odd one out in the Godfather franchise. Um, made in nineteen ninety, which was sixteen years after the second film, um, completely original script this time, um, not not based on on the book. Um, starring a large number of the still directed by Coppola, still written by Puzo, co-written by Puzo, still starring Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire. Um, but this time, uh, no Duval, uh, even though he, he's fine in the, in the second film, he's, he doesn't return here. But also including uh, a new set of, of actors, uh, including uh, Andy Garcia, uh, Eli Wallach, Wallach, is that his name? Um, George Hamilton, uh, Joe Mantega, Joe Man- Man- Manteng, <laughs> the guy from uh, Criminal Minds and uh, The Simpsons, that guy. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. 
and con- most controversially, Sofia Coppola. Um, this has been described as, you know, one of the most biggest disappointments ever. This has been described as a underrated masterpiece. This is described as a great film that is just not as great as excellent films. Uh, in the first two, this has been described as uh, mediocre. This has been described as awful. This has been one of the worst ones of all time. It, there, any opinion you can conceivably have seems to be at least semi-popular when discussing The Godfather Part 3, with the exception of thinking it's the best of the three. I don't think, I've not heard anyone think, say they think it's the best of the three, yeah. but I've heard almost everything else. I've heard say it's, it's a five star, it's unbelievably great, uh, it's just, you know, it's just uh, unfairly criticised. I've heard people say, you know, it's it's awful. I've heard everything. So I was quite interested in what I was going to think, especially seeing the recut version, The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, which was released in December 2020, uh, 30 years after the uh, original was released, uh, which was, was quite panned at the time, despite receiving seven Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, making it and Lord of the Rings the only trilogies to receive, uh, for all of their installments to receive uh, Best Picture nominations. I think the only series ever where all of their films have received Best Picture nominations. Um, but despite that, it received a lot of critical panning, especially for Coppola's, uh, Sophia Coppola's performance. So the, the recut version is about half an hour shorter than the original. You know, most directors uh, cuts are longer. This is about half an hour shorter and it's supposed to be a closer representation to what Coppola wanted. And it's also supposed to, uh, I think the, he pre- even said something about having to try and um, uh, vindicate his daughter's performance um and you know th- this this recut version doesn't you know make doesn't put her out in the open as much doesn't make is you know you know shows her performance to be as actually was rather than as it appeared or whatever so um I, I, is it i believe it's half it might be less than half an hour sure it might be 20 minutes sure i think actually um sure. anyway uh so do i think that this is great i haven't seen the, the original cut of the part godfather part three so i can't say what i think of that but this is, um, well, Coppola describes this film as a, rather than a third part, and which is one of the reasons they might want to have the remake version as a coda rather than called three. He describes it, he think, describes it as an epilogue rather than a sequel. This is not equal in its importance to The Godfather Part Two. This is just kind of an extra afterwards. This picks up um, like 20 years, I think, or after the edge, or, or maybe 16 years after the end of... Um, the second film and shows a now fully legitimate Michael Corleone uh, trying to to raise his own children uh, to make sure that to try and completely legitimise make sure there are no problems but also um, to kind of hedge a big deal with the the Vatican uh, and the papacy um, trying to uh, you know sort out negotiations for owning a company which involved the Pope himself uh, but whilst doing that uh, he's also kind of put in the way of uh, Vincent, Vincent, I can't remember what his last name is, Vincent, played by Andy Garcia, who is the son of Sonny from the first film, um, and um, how his kind of uh, aggressive, uh, emotional uh, outbursts, much like his father, uh, kind of starts to ruin things for Pacino and starts to uh, kind of complicate things, including with a local gangster, Joey Zaza, played by the person I struggle with to pronounce, Joe Man- Mante- Mantegna, Mantegna, the guy from Criminal Minds, um, 
and and yeah, of course, the more in, plot ensues. And importantly, spoiler uh, at the end, uh, his daughter dies. So I'm gonna talk, the reason why I bring that up is because it's important to what I'm gonna say in my review. So, um, the, so Godfather Coda, I. It's interesting because you know it's always going to be held up against the first two because it is the third one. But you know I don't think they ever intended it to be considered like that. You know it, it was made sixteen years after, and and I think I describe this much as I have for films like T Two Train Spotting or Bill and Ted uh, Three as as a nostalgia film. It, it, it exists to to make the the viewer remember what they saw when they watched the last two films, uh, and and kind of it, it very much leans heavily into that saying remember this character remember that character remember don tomasino here's a scene of me from godfather part one or part two i think it very much builds on nostalgia but if it's trying to do that if it's trying to be nostalgic if it's trying to be an epilogue why is it introducing so many new elements at once i think this film is very confused about what it wants to be um it's saying, you know, this is as good as any of the Godfather films. Here, you know, this is this detailed plot and these different events and this is, you know, this character is involved with this character and this person's killed this person and all these things and this is as good as the rest of them, but it isn't the same standard. And if it says, no, 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 it's just an epilogue, it's just showing what Michael's up to or whatever, then why complicate it? It just doesn't know what it wants to be. I think there's a, a kind of a clear disconnect between the studio wanting it to be, you know, the third Godfather and Coppola wanting this to be, you know, the, e- the end of the Godfather. Um Pacino is still good. You know, it's very strange that they, they slick his hair up. Like, his hair is so, um, like, spiked up. It very much doesn't look like Michael. But he's still very good, but he doesn't feel very much like the same character he was in the first two films. I think that that isn't his fault necessarily. I think time has passed a lot. And not to sound rude to a legend, but I think Pacino aged a lot in the 80s, right? Uh, you know, how he looks in Scarface compared to how he looked here. You know, he, he ages a lot in the 80s. Um, and I think he, he doesn't ever feel like it's not like it's not like he feels like he's supposed to be like, I know he's supposed to be older, but it feels like he's kind of lost Michael a bit. And there are scenes here and there where he manages to get that same passion, but it does feel like a good performance from the wrong person. It doesn't, it, it actually took me about half an hour to actually even try and get on board that Al Pacino is Michael Corleone. It took me a while to accept that because I thought he, he felt so different. And that is actually a ludicrous statement to say. Um, when it comes to this new cut with with you know it's, it's shorter and and I've seen a few of the differences like the, the ending is far better here um, but the, the, this cut is supposed to to kind of cover Sofia Coppola's performance as, as, as Michael's daughter it's supposed to kind of um, you know cover a lot of the the, the faults there uh, I don't know how bad the first film must be because <laughs> I, I, I'd hate to be the same person to just pile on hate, you know, for these. It is awful. It's one of the worst performances I've seen from a Hollywood film, especially a film that's as kind of as big as this. And of course, she's an excellent director, and and I was I was quite a big fan of her film that she released a couple of years ago on the rocks, you know, all that. But and it's it's not her fault, of course, um, that she was supposed she wasn't supposed to be in the film. Um, I can't remember who it was stepped out right, of the. Right? Winona Ryder, yeah, stepped out at the last minute, so she kind of had to come in. Um, but it is really quite hard to watch, and, and she really does not... It's, it's Especially the first two films, which don't have a bad performance in the first two combined, to have one that is so outwardly poor, 
it, it, it's it's jarring. Uh, Andy Garcia, his character is awful. His character is slimy and not in the way that the rest of the films intended it. Uh, and you, I kind of hate him when I'm not supposed to hate him, and I kind of you know never really vibe with him. His performance is I'm really unsure about. I'd like to hear what you think about Andy Garcia because I'm not sure if I think it's awful or I just have a problem with the character. Um, but to compare it to the rest of the films, I mean, again, it's it's not there. Uh, I mean, I think that there is so much that happens in this film, but none of it makes any is important. The only reason this film exists is so that his daughter can die at the end, because his daughter dying in the end almost vindicates the whole film. Because it is important. I think it's good that we saw that his daughter dies. And I think that is an important moment. And it's a well-made moment, especially in the Coda cut, where it hasn't got this kind of weird flashback sequence. But it is important to see. But... Because it, it basically vindicates that he... he that, that he completely failed. His, his one thing that he wanted to do, that Vito it was all about his family, he his family, and his only real loss was that Sonny died. Um, but he, he did everything to make you know when he first in in the flashbacks in the first film him take stealing the rug him you know becoming the don is all to protect his family and his interests and his kids and all of the actions he does is all protecting his family we talk about the importance of family and for all of the mistakes that michael makes for all the people he kills everything ultimately all he wants is his family to be happy and a lot of this film sees him trying to you know kind of win his his divorced wife back you know is in family but all of that you know this whole thing that this film is actually about veto becomes so obvious at the end when you know it finds that he has had the ultimate loss everything he has done every person he's killed killing his brother you know killing his his brother-in-law you know these awful things he's done to people these awful things the way that he's changed his life has all been for nothing because ultimately he's had the massive final loss that his daughter died i mean that is important and i'm happy that that happens because i think it's an important moment for the franchise but the two hours and 20 minutes that stand before it, it is just so poor comparatively. It really is a letdown. I mean, I think it is. there are parts of it that are well made. There are interesting sections. I think that the, the whole thing of dealing with the Pope and the, 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 the Vatican it was interesting. That's an interesting thing. It, with a better script in a film that was maybe made in 1980 rather than 1990, maybe that would have come of something. But as the film continues, that plot, which has got a potential starts to become more and more convoluted. Um, a lot of moments here I feel are really over the top. The, the For example, the helicopter violence is really over the top. Andy Garcia's character becomes really over the top. Again, these films stop themselves from becoming caricatures. You know, somehow Brando doesn't feel like a caricature. Um, whereas Andy Garcia's character completely does, I think. Um, and, and the elephant in the room, the incest is really, really <laughs> weird and very, very unnecessary. I don't know why it's in there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I mean, it's his own daughter, so maybe Coppola's trying to tell us something. Um, <laughs> but very strange decision. Um, I will say that I, from what I seem to gather, this cut is better than the original one. Um, and I think I'm being particularly harsh because I'm we're comparing this to the other two films. Um but the, the the big difference, I don't know if you've seen the well, you've seen both of the films. Um, the difference, the main difference, is the ending. Um, and I guess this is a spoiler because people might not have seen the new cut. The, the, I'm going to spoil it. The difference is in the original ending, uh, we see Michael old and alone, uh, keel over and die. Um, in this film, we just see him old and alone, and he doesn't die. And I think that's a far better ending to leave it open ended. He has to live with the 
with that and you know it's him 20 years later but I think that that leaving the the questions open not answering this unnecessarily I think is more in the vein of how the first two films uh, operated and I think it's a far better choice but overall um, yeah it's just it's a letdown and I think that everyone said that before but uh, it's a very you know there are good moments here and there I think Diane Keaton is excellent absolutely excellent in The Godfather Part 3 I think she's really good actually probably the standout performance um but it, it's it's really um, it, it came too late, far too late. Yeah, I um, generally I agree with you. I think you being uh, for me, compared to what I think, I think you being a little bit harsh. Um, but I think if you view the Godfather Part Three, particularly Coda, in a vacuum, it's a good film. But when you do view it with the other two in mind, it it's such a letdown that it just doesn't compare. I mean. I completely agree about Al Pacino. When I watch this, I see Al Pacino. I don't see Michael Corleone. Um, I think when you said that he's lost Michael, I think you're completely right. For me, this is just Al Pacino being Al Pacino. He He's lost the subtlety of Michael Corleone uh, in this for me. Uh, the standouts are uh, completely different to part one and part two are, for me, Diane Keaton and Talia Shire. I think Talia Shire's character is taken in a really interesting direction she kind of becomes a uh kind of like the uh right hand man to michael almost um and i think it works really well um but diane keaton is is the best performance in this film for me um sophia coppola magnificent director incredible screenwriter an actress she is not um they actually when they made this film her performance was so bad that after the test screenings came out, they went back and redubbed her dialogue. Um, like 80% of her dialogue in this film is dubbed over because her performance that she gave on set was even worse, which seems impossible, but is apparently true. Um, and I think the biggest misstep with this film is the casting. I think Andy Garcia and Sofia Coppola as the two new characters just don't work. Um, I think I disagree that it's doing too much. Why would it have the new stuff in? I think that's good. I think it shows that kind of life moves on like it never actually ends. You can't get out once you're in, you're in. As a family, you're in. And it's about passing the torch to the next generation. I think it would have been executed far better if they had not Sofia Coppola and Andy Garcia. Um, because I just think the casting is the, the biggest misstep to say that the first two are two of the best acted films ever. The casting director dropped the ball on this because the cast is just not on the same level, even nearly on the same level. The screenplay isn't on the same level. I think the first kind of hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, or hour, uh, two hours, I can't remember how long this is, is, is just two hours of long setup and very slow setup. And if you're not into it, I can see it being excruciating. Um, it because it's just set up. It's a lot of people talking, especially uh, scenes in the Vatican. It's a lot about the the, uh, the Catholic Church and the Pope and all that stuff. Um, it's just a lot of setup for a final forty five minutes of payoff, and I do think that that final forty five minutes of payoff is amazing. I think the scene when they arrive at the opera house, everything that happens after that, in my opinion, is perfect. It's just as good as the first two. Um, apart from Sofia Coppola and Andy Garcia, um, it's amazing. Those scenes, the assassin in the opera house, uh, kind of silently lurking is brilliant. 
And then the scene on the steps when Sofia Coppola is shot is done so well, much better in Coda than in the uh, the original theatrical version. Um, and I, I do very much like Coda. I think it serves as a Coda. You know, it's the Coda in music is the final piece. Like, it, it comes after the end. This isn't a, a third part of the Godfather story. This is after the end. It's already ended. Um, you know, the, the Michael that we knew in part two has already gone. He's already uh, moved on. Um, this is what comes after that. And I think as that, it works quite well. It's not on the same level as the other two. But I think the reason this gets so much hate and the reason this gets regarded as such a disappointment and so bad is because it's a follow-up to two of the greatest films ever made. Kind of like, you know, the, you've we've mentioned the, uh, the Lord of the Rings a few times. Kind of like the Hobbit films. The Hobbit films are not bad. They are by no stretch of the imagination bad. But they're following the one of the greatest fantasy trilogies ever made. So everyone says, oh, the Hobbit films are rubbish. They're not worth watching. They're not rubbish. They're actually very good. But they're not on the same level as Lord of the Rings. And that's how I feel about The Godfather Part 3. It's not uh, rubbish. I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to say I think The Battle of the Five Armies is actually rubbish. What do you think, sorry? I think The Battle of the Five Armies is actually rubbish. Fair enough. I don't remember what I think of that one. It's been too long since I saw it. But um, the, the first Hobbit, at least, which I remember. The first Hobbit's and, great. And The Desolation of Smaug. They're actually quite good, but they're not on the same level as Lord of yeah, the Rings. And same with Part Three of The Godfather. Part Three of The Godfather is actually very good. It's just not on the same level as the first two. So everyone dismisses it. Um but I think it works well. It it could it should have come out earlier, I think. Um, but when it came out, it it still makes sense that they did this epilogue to the to the to the duology um, with Michael Corleone, who doesn't feel like he's at the center of this. He feels like he's on the edge of it, which I think works because that's where he wants to be. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as good. Uh, I think the cinematography is still excellent and the direction is still excellent. But um, the biggest issue is the casting. If if we had to, like I said about the first one, you know, a performance, uh, the the demand of a character like Michael Corleone, many actors couldn't do it. You know, Pacino is the reason that film works. Not many actors could carry that. And without a performance as good as Pacino's, the film falls apart. And I think the third Godfather needed a performance on the same level and it didn't get it. And so the film fell apart. I think the this story was very demanding of flawless performances and it doesn't have it. So the film just collapses in on itself and it doesn't work as well. But I still think it's very good. I still very much like it. Um, but like, again, like you said at the very end, and this is kind of the last thing I have to say in the review part, um, the incest, so weird, so unnecessary... It doesn't do anything narratively. It's so strange that it's there. It it could be taken out and nothing is different. It's just bizarre why this story turned into an incest thing. It's just weird. It's just weird. Yes. Um, so I I just wanted to uh, to ask again. What do you what do you think? Andy Garcia's performance himself. You know, do you think Andy Garcia is, is, is? What do you think? I think he's kind of hamming it up a bit. I think he knew that he was getting in 
I don't think I think he was in too deep. Basically, I think he knew that the Godfather Part Three, there was a lot resting on his shoulders, and I think he tried to do too much. Like you know, we said Pacino and De Niro gave very subtle performances. Um, Garcia does not. Garcia does become um, almost a car- like you say, a, a caricature of the gangster, um, not the um, not the subtle business type elegance of the first two um what year did this come out sorry quickly was it 90 sorry this is not only yeah 1990 so this came out the same year as goodfellas um i think garcia's character fits more in goodfellas universe than in the godfather's universe yeah i mean i I don't (laughs) he's a lot more brutish he's a lot less like the the characters that we know and the performances that we know and again i think it's because of the casting i think um you we just need different we need a different cast with this film but i love i love um the rest of the cast the old cast apart from al pacino who i think is just being al pacino talia shire gets a lot more to do she's fantastic but the new cast just need need to change yeah, I agree. I don't think uh, I don't I don't think he's a very uh, convincing Corleone. Um, yeah, most of the most of the people that play that half of the people that play um, characters in this franchise are American anyway. I mean, like look at Brando, um, but I think they're just a lot better at doing the Italian American stuff than, than Garcia. I think I'm a more convincing Italian than Andy Garcia is. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 yeah, I, I think there are there are quite a lot of issues. Um, yeah, I think obviously I, I like it less than you do. Um, I think I wonder if that partly comes from the fact that I saw this as Coda first. So I wonder if the fact that you saw this as Godfather Part Three and then saw an improved version meant that you kind of perhaps yeah naturally perhaps more impressed true. perhaps because this is an improvement that... on the on the um, the theatrical. But like I I, I I said this when I first saw the Coda version, the issues with Part Three of the Godfather run far deeper than yeah. issues that can be solved with recutting it. You know, you can't sure. you can't edit around Sofia Coppola's performance. You can't edit around the entire film, which is just below the quality of the, the other two. Um it's a subtle improvement. It's an improvement, but it's not much of an improvement. Sure. So perhaps the fact that I um, went in expecting uh, you know, of something i'm not going to give away my rating but expected something and i got a slight improvement makes me think it's better than people give it credit for but yeah yeah uh so um fun fact for you here uh al pacino is in all three godfather films yeah. one two and three diane keaton is in all three talia shire is in all three and one person else is in all three is it is it Johnny Fontaine? No. no oh, is it? Is not. it? Um, is the, it Sofia Coppola? It is Sofia Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought I'd uh, throw that in there. Technically, the character of Don Tomasino is in all three films. In uh, his Sicilian version, um, in in the first film, in his olden day version, in the second film, and his old person version in the third film. But they're played by different actors, so uh, yeah. it, it doesn't technically count. Um, so, what rating would you be giving to the uh, the Godfather Part Three? I think or I'd give the Godfather, Godfather Coda, the Godfather Coda, Death of Michael Corleone. I think I'd give it a seven and a half out of ten. 
think I'll give it a five and a half. Ooh, that's lower than I thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's very good. I mean, I think it's okay. Like, it's well made in a lot of ways. I mean, I think the cinematography is fine. And I think there are nice kind of uh, flashbacks, but I just think it's confused. And I think, especially when you're comparing it to the... Obviously, it hurts, you know, I shouldn't compare it really in terms of rating and stuff, but I do, I think that compared to the first two, it's it's a big step down. Yeah, so, um, but like I said, just quickly... Uh, nipping back to what I literally was just talking about, the fir- the theatrical cut of The Godfather Part Three, it was a six for me. So for this to be a right. seven, seven and a half is a an improvement. Yeah, it cuts a lot. Of, is it cut quite a lot of guff? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it cuts a lot of the shit surround, particularly surrounding Sofia Coppola and uh, and Andy Garcia. Um. Okay. And what? And I would give it. Yes, I already said that. So your man of the match. Oh, that's a good question. I think I would actually have this in my mind. Let me get the uh, the person's name. I am going for. I'll say mine. Uh, if you're what I think, mine is Diane Keaton. I thought Diane Keaton was, was very good as an uh, as an aged um, K in this, and uh, I thought um, her she she I, I think yeah. is completely at the same level of passion, which a lot of the people seem to have kind of checked out here. Like I think oh, I'm not necessarily checked out. I think Pacino's checked out to a degree. I think Coppola's checked out to a degree. Like they're not their full effort yeah. levels they were in the first films. But I think Diane Keaton keeps it completely uh, consistent. I think she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, so I'll go for Keaton for that definitely. Uh, I am going to give my man of the match, and it seems weird giving it to this for the third film when we rang its praises so yeah. much more in the second one. But I am going to give it to Dean Tavolaris, who is the production designer. Um, I think the production design in when they go to Sicily is fantastic. The production design of the Vatican is fantastic. Production design in the Opera House is fantastic. Um, the production design all around it is fantastic. Um, are you aware of the four? Are you are you aware of the the Sicilian? I don't think so. There is kind of a fourth. Um, there's a fourth Godfather film that was made in 1987. Um, basically, so in nineteen eighty four, Mario Puzo wrote a sequel novel to The Godfather named The Sicilian, um, mm. which uh basically involves characters um that that Michael meets uh during his time in in Sicily during his exile. Um, Michael is I think is involved um quite heavily in the story um but is a supporting role to another bandit called salvatore guliano um but it, it does heavily include the characters of uh of mark corleone and uh peter clemenza is it peter clemenza or clemenza the uh yeah peter clemenza yeah the uh, capo um and that was adapted into a film in 1987 uh directed by michael camino um he obviously directed um deer hunter which i previously mentioned um but all of the mentioning of uh, Godfather characters has been removed is removed from the the film version because it's not made by the same uh, like it's not made by Paramount. Um, but it still is a film about characters that interact with uh, with the Godfather. That is, I didn't know that. That is bizarre. I'll be interested in uh, in giving it a go and seeing kind of how I think it stacks up in the world and see if I can kind of imagine it in that same world. So the Godfather, eh? So that's that's those three films talked about. Um, I think it's it, it it's I guess when I talk about it and the praise I want to give it, I kind of have to say it as a duology really because I think 
to describe it as a perfect trilogy would be unfair because the, the one of them is so much worse than the rest of the, the other two. Even yeah. you think that as someone as much more you know loving of it. Um, but I just think it, 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 I just think that 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 showing a man even including the third one showing that the, the path of, of Michael from that early moment we actually only see him as a good guy for like 30 minutes mm-hmm. but it's so ingrained in our head that like the the further it goes across the three films and even though he appears to be a better man in the third than the second you know that it's only after the amount that's only because he can afford to do that now because of all of the bad things he's done in the past i think that that you can never show a man's rise and fall so well as shown in these three films yeah. i think it's an absolute spectacle of cinema and i think that regardless of the flaws of the third like the the almost the three act structure that is preventing these three films for Corley, for for Michael it, it is wonderful, um, and I say I think that the the best part of the third is that you show him losing his kid and it, that is the final, like that's the final loss he can have that's the the, yeah. the full stop on that big long sentence of pain that he he, he puts us through. Uh, I just think it's absolutely uh, exceptional. I think what they what they did especially in the first two is is up there with the best ever for any, from any director from any right screenwriter it's just it's wonderful um so good fellas um good fellas came out in 1990 uh just before the godfather part three and i think that's part of the reason why people really hated godfather part three at the time because of just how good good fellas is yeah um i recently rewatched them uh rewatched good fellas uh having seen the first two godfathers and just before i watched the third one and i i kind of my opinion of it was almost slightly lower when I when I watched it this time. Um, I think having seen uh, the 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 two Godfathers, I kind of thought, came out thinking, okay, I want to just think about how much I love that, but all I can think about is how quite per, right now, quite strongly to me, I, I feel more passionately about good you know, the Godfather than I do Goodfellas. I, I do prefer the Godfather to Goodfellas, um, and we've talked about our favorite films of all time before and I've described it as one of mine and you've described it as one of yours so um, we'll talk about the differences in them in a sec but you know The Godfather revolutionised the gangster genre um, and kind of rebuilt it you know the gangsters were always the bad guys gangsters were very little was known about them it was all very much from the outside The Godfather kind of birthed the modern gangster genre but in a lot of ways by peeling back the curtain uh, Goodfellas reinvented it um, 16 years later or, or 18 years later sorry so I mean do, do you prefer, what, what do you think do you, do you think this stacks up do you think they're t- these two films that can't be compared they're, they're just so neck and neck or do you have more love for Goodfellas or now re-watching them what do you think I think it really depends on what you want from a film because we've said several times throughout this that The Godfather kind of paints this picturesque version of, of um, gangster life and the mafia um, and the Goodfellas does the opposite. Goodfellas shows the harsh reality. I mean, they both show the descent of a man. You know, Goodfellas deals with Henry Hill and Godfather deals with uh, Michael Corleone. Um, but the Godfather does it so much more, we've used this word a lot, but elegantly. Goodfellas is kind of the Schmaltzy, rough... you could say in a negative term. Yeah, yeah. Goodfellas does it in a much more brutal, violent way. Uh, you know, I think goes to show Goodfellas is rated 18. The Godfather trilogy isn't. Goodfellas is a lot more violent. It shows the brutishness 
of gangsters. So I think it really depends on what you want. Personally, I prefer Goodfellas. I think um, Goodfellas is, uh, uh, for me as well, a better film. I, I do think that it's better. They're both 10 out of 10s. But I just, I prefer the elements of Goodfellas. I, I think the execution is better in Goodfellas. Um, and I also just think that Scorsese can't be topped. I mean... Uh, but it's, well, sorry to I'm sorry a, to interrupt just before you start talking again. Um, but like I said, uh, I said this a few weeks ago when we were talking about it briefly. Uh, it's one of those rare things in the film community where you say Godfather's better than Goodfellas. And I go, okay, fair enough. And I say Goodfellas is better than Godfather, and you go, okay, fair enough, because they're both masterpieces. They're both amazing films that it's difficult to say, no, 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 you're wrong. Obviously, The Godfather's better, or no, no, you're wrong. Obviously, Goodfellas is better. It's just one of those rare things where we go, okay, that's an understandable opinion. I get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that just shows how excellent they are in their own worlds. Um, and I think you're completely, you know, you, you said it all really, yeah, about how, how it pulls, peels back the curtain. And, you know, I mean, I, it's almost, it's insane that the the the, the re- reality of it, and I think it's obviously comes from a true story with, with Henry Hill. And, and I think it still shows a lot of what The Godfather is right about and how much importance some elements of, of that life is. But then also, um, you know, the thing that, that I was talking to Dad about this the other day, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, someone that grew up loving gangster films and stuff, um, that, that for him, that as much as being obsessed with The Godfather and loving The Godfather and loving those kind of films, when Goodfellas came out, it was like a whole, like, wesh, like every, it wakes everyone, everyone up and was like, whoa, this is actually what it's actually like, and this is like, oh, this is so much better. Um, and, and, you know, he was talks about how, you know, showing their real lives and and how even midway through through dealing that from sorting out like the biggest cocaine deal in the in the history of the world he also has to run home to stir the the sauce <laughs> um you know it, it's a wonderfully crafted film but i think the the attitude the attitude it takes towards uh the reality of it whilst more true i don't necessarily think you know is to my taste as as much yeah. and it feels hard to to say that because i i've loved goodfellas for, for years you know it's, it's one of my favorite films and it was it has been for a long time um but i guess i i think even though i do love that i think i just love the the romanticized version of what the mafia kind of is imagined to be or, or mm. was more so than like the the kind of grim reality and i do love the grim reality but for me i think it's just i think it's a taste thing i think these are two excellently almost perfect films that you know you you have to pick between which one you prefer based on what you give to it. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you don't like horror films. No. Um, famously. Infamous. And, um, and, uh, and you don't like roller coaster rides. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> just going to bully you. You're, but you're just you bullying me now. <laughs> but you love gangster films, which, which are, are kind of seen as, you know, crass and violent and bloody yeah. and over the top and and not scary by any sense of imagination, but but you know they are you know an aggressive genre. Mm. Um, you know, I think that you're not the the stereotypical audience. Neither am I, um, but I'm you know I'm, I'm not talking about myself. But you're not the stereotypical audience you'd imagine of kind of you know p- people that that grew up in New York. You're not you know you're not uh, biting a cigar through your teeth. You're not you know like yeah, a, you know, a violent guy, but you know, you love gangster films. So, what do you think is so appealing 
about the gangster genre, which I think we can give a lot of credit to The Godfather for reinventing, as I said earlier. But what what do you think it is about gangster films, about Scorsese and 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 he and The Godfather and and you know all these wonderful you know say Casino or or ever what what about it these films that you think that that appeals to to you? I think it's really difficult to articulate it. I think. Partly it is, like you say, The Godfather reinvented uh, gangster films, and I think Goodfellas did as well. I think there's a a very yeah yeah definitely there's a pre Goodfellas and post Goodfellas world with gangster films, and there's a pre Godfather and post Godfather world with with gangster films. Um, and I don't think I'd say Heat is a gangster film; that's more of just a crime film. But I I, I think sure, honestly sure. the thing that appeals well, to I think people organized crime, you know. Is the the wider genre of organized crime uh, is involved? I think that anything mobster or organized crime, you know, even though they're not necessarily about you know Lacoste and Ostra, but I still think like something like you know um, that he or uh, you know the usual suspects or something still kind of counts in the wider narrative, Baby Driver or whatever. Uh, I suppose so. I suppose so. Yeah, the but more I expansive think... world of organized crime. Yeah, but I think the thing that appeals to gangster films specifically, or appeals to me and, and other people about gangster films specifically, is the kind of organisation to it. Like, it's uh, it's not just brutish violence for the sake of being violence. It's that these people, they respect one another. It's not people just beating the shit out of one another for fun or doing it. You know, it's not a serial killer film where someone's killing someone for fun it's not a slasher film where someone's just chasing people down a hallway for fun it, there's a respect to it there's a a code of conduct to it even though it's the same thing it's murder whether it's a horror slasher film like uh, texas chainsaw massacre or it's goodfellas it's both crime and both murder but i think it's the um the respect with which it's done in goodfellas um and not just Goodfellas, but in gangster films in general, the respect around the the organisation or the family or the institution or whatever you want to call it, I think it it makes it it adds another layer to it of you know this respect and admiration, um, and I think particularly talking about Goodfellas, and I think Goodfellas addresses many of the things that Godfather that the Godfather does, like you know the opening. Well, it's not the opening, but the the famous, incredibly famous quote from Goodfellas where he says, as far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I think he feels that way because of The Godfather, films like The Godfather, which kind of idolize and um, romanticize uh, gangsters. You know, Henry Hill says, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster because he wants to be like Vito, he wants to be like Michael, he wants to uh, have this romanticized life. Um, and then he gets into it and he realizes that it's not that. And I think that's what appeals to us about it. It, it. It's such a subversion of what you'd expect. You expect brutish violence and instead you get this very respectful um, kind of institution of people thinking that's not how you do things. Yes, we're criminals who murder people, but there's a way to do it. And I think that's why it's so appealing to people like me who don't like uh, kind of those types of films generally or aren't the target audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're not, we're not doing a, a, a Goodfellas review, even though it feels like it. Uh, I know, yeah. We keep mentioning it. But um, watching... Um, 
uh, in a documentary about Henry Hill that was on the Good Fellas uh, Blu-ray. Uh, how it was, he he was talking about how he was like when I saw the film, I thought it was ninety percent ninety five no actually ninety nine percent accurate. He was like I was watching my memories, um, and it's really rare because normally people that are actually like the subjects film seems to always complain about the films, um, but he's like com- completely like yeah, Goodfellas is exactly the representation yeah. and, and kind of said so that stranger than fiction stuff that you know the events of the Goodfellas of Goodfellas is especially compared to the first Godfather is far more absurd. I think than anything that happens in the, in, in the Godfather. Yeah. I think that that's the thing is that, that there's so much entertainment in that realism because of just how fucking insane this world is. Um, but I don't think that takes away from the Godfather. I, I think, you know, for me, I, I think I, I'm less versed in, in the gangster world. And I, I'm just kind of getting into it now. The world mm. of organized crime film. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's that, and I'll say it again, the, the kind of juxtapositions, I think it's the, the juxtaposition between um, cr- the, 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 the world of, of, of normality and, and family with crime and murder, you know, that whole thing, the whole, I guess the whole of The Godfather in that sense could be summed up by the uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli thing, where it's like, you know, the, the, these people are real people with normally normal lives and, yeah. and they're all going to their sister's wedding and such, but there's also the the murder that kind of underlines it. I think that along with the way that the the system treats them, the difference between the outside world and that not inside world, the world, the, the underworld relates to the, the the kind of main world, and the way that uh, everything has to go through the system. You know, there's no, it's not like you can just, you know, that whole system of like made men, you can't kill a made man kind of thing, and yeah. the way that you have to have, you know, blessings to do this and that. I think that it's just a, uh, it's just kind of putting yourself in, in the, the eyes of that foot soldier looking up at that massive kind of family tree of, of roles and, and jobs and stuff I think it's fascinating and I think it, part of it though does appeal to that animalistic nature of the of the blood and the death and the violence I think everyone does have part of that in them as well even if they and I think trying to find the good characters in that bad in those evil worlds is just a fascinating uh, kind of uh, experiment a mm. fascinating kind of activity to try and find those those good people in in some of the most kind of miserable murderous disgusting sinful places um you know in, in the godfather you know you get that in, in characters like fredo and 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 k that the kind of the shining lights in these extremely dark times mm. uh and and even though the performance in there i think that's what you're supposed to get from mary in in the third film yeah and it's often those characters that, that actually suffer the most um, but I think the impact on the genre is, is just uh, immeasurable um, from, from The Godfather and I saw some stat about the amount of uh, gangster films that were made pre-Godfather the amount of gangster films that were made post-Godfather and it's like night and day um, yeah. the amount of kind of people that they kind of forced out a thousand times more uh, after the um, after The Godfather came out Yeah, and I also hear stories about how actual mob bosses were impersonating they, they started uh, adding kind of vetoisms into their own dialogue, like mm. actual kind of bosses of of crime families in New York started doing a kind of uh, kind of uh, uh, accent, you know. Uh, yeah. that's as far as I'll go. Um, <laughs> but I think the legacy and the impact of these films is just uh, immeasurable, and the fact that that we're comparing it to to something as good as Goodfellas, even if it came out later, is, is is praise itself. I think as well, it further puts on the pressure for the Good Godfather Part Three that this came out. This is kind of 
the the relic of a forgotten era. This came out in yeah. 90 months after Goodfellas, and people had just had the 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 you know the the, the curtain pulled back as we, as we keep saying that the reality shown, and then now you're getting this schmaltzy, over romanticized kind of fake version of the mafia just after that, which happens to also be not a very good film, or especially the one that came out then. Um, yeah, ninety, and not a very good film. That must have kind of made people think, kind of you know, um, you know, past was yours, but future's mine. Kind of you know, long live, long live the the king and stuff. You know, Scorsese's kind of changed it all. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that takes away from from the greatness of the Godfather. I think we should probably. Uh, is there anything more you want to say about the Godfather? Um, a little bit, uh, just to tag on to what you've just said. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I think the Godfather kind of showed this fakeness this facade of of organized crime and you know we're not doing a review of goodfellas so i'm gonna uh, skip over it as much as possible but this ties into my point of what i'm about to say about the godfather and you know for decades people were trying to emulate the godfather and trying to emulate its success and just the vibe of the godfather like you said even actual crime bosses tried to emulate it and then Scorsese comes along and does the complete opposite and says, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in showing the harsh reality. And that's kind of what we've grown up. We've grown up with the world post Goodfellas. You know, obviously we were born yeah, decade yeah. after Goodfellas. Um, so we were completely unaware of this period of time where gangsters were idolized as, you know, uh, legitimate business people who were, you know, had this very fancy lifestyle. For us, it was a scary crime lifestyle. And The Godfather shows it so shows it as so appealing and so beautifully that it genuinely, it influenced so much in cinema. And I think, you know, the fact that we've given it its own episode is is more than trust, more than justified. Um, but honestly, I mean, we, we've been speaking for over two hours now. I'm sure we could have spoken for two hours about part one. Uh, alone because it, they're just so important um, to the world of cinema not just the gangster genre but the world of cinema and they did so much and I you know they're so they're just incredible and also did you know that Martin Scorsese was going to direct The Godfather Part 2 oh was he? yeah but the studio wouldn't let him so Coppola did it this, he Coppola didn't want to direct Part 2 and Coppola said, but my my mate Marty'll do it. Um, Scorsese was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll do it." And Paramount were like, "No, no, not not this kid. He doesn't know what he's doing." <laughs> yeah, I mean, Coppola didn't want to direct the first one. Coppola didn't yeah, want to direct true. the second one, and Coppola didn't want to direct the third one. Um, that's true. Yeah. And yet they all happened. I'd be very interested um, to see Scorsese's Godfather Part Three. Yes, I mean, God's got yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Coppola wasn't really all in on the third one. Anyway, yeah, that's so. what I mean. He Coppola uh, definitely with the with the second one, Coppola was at least still giving it his all. Um, but by the time the third one I rolled did, around, he didn't really care. I don't think. There are a million thoughts that I've had and thought I need to talk on the podcast that I've just discarded because I've forgotten about them at the time, or they're just not fitting with, with the, the flow of the conversation. But one thing I didn't mention enough in in the third one is that they didn't in the third film they didn't pay uh, Robert Duvall enough money, basically. Yeah. That's basically the thing that he was saying, everyone's doing it for the money and I wasn't getting enough money. And it, and his his justification is, Al Pacino's being offered five million, he was not getting offered one million. He said, it's fair enough to offer someone double as much, but not five times as much. And I think that's a fair comment to say. And yeah, for the role of Robert Duvall, they should have offered him the everything. You know, he's 
you know the through line of the three films and yeah. of the two films and you know he's you yeah know, an excellent kind of uh you know uh kind of slightly more normal character grounded character i'd say yeah absolutely um, he's the link really between the uh, Vito and michael and i think bringing him over to the third one would have made it work even more yeah i think it's 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 gutting i think the third film is really is missing him yeah. I think again, it's it's so so just how well the the world is built in those first two films that you know in those kind of six hours, the entire world is ahead of you. There's so many well built, well, well built, well kind of almost realistic characters and these worlds and these places, and it's just fitting all that plot into into so short. You know, six hours is a lot of runtime, but there's enough plot for for four, five, six, seven, eight films. Oh yeah, um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, we need to we need to have, we need to end this. Um, I've received about four phone calls during this podcast, and I'm very <laughs> curious about what these people want. Okay, so um, the Godfather good, the Godfather part two good, the Godfather part three um, not as good. We differ on how good it is, but definitely not as good. So that's a lot to get off our chest, and I'm very happy that we've done it. Um, so that was the Godfather. Uh, any last final thoughts? Do you have a favourite Godfather quote? I think get leave the guns, get the cannoli. That's pretty great. I love that. Apart from the obvious ones that have been kind of done to death, like I'm gonna make him a laughing get reviews and all Let's that. Get the, we get the impression in there. We're getting the impression there, obviously, and all that. But the I love the uh, leave the guns, get the cannoli. What about you? What's your favourite Godfather things. quote? <laughs> <laughs> He's been reading the funny pa- <laughs> the funny papers. No, I uh, my favorite. Oh, I really like the opening monologue in general. Yeah, I think, that's uh, true. Uh, I believe in a minute. Um, I like the quote from the third one come. when uh, Don Sofia Coppola dies and uh, Al Pacino just screams. That's actually very good, though. I think yeah, that's actually very good. The, the Godfather, the the Godfather Part Three, despite kind of sucking in general, uh, does have that great bit when he goes. Every every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. That's that a great, That's great moment, yeah. That is great, but but for every series, quote like that, it has moments. a it has a shot of Sophia Coppola just going, "Dad." Yeah, <laughs> the worst yeah. line delivery ever. Yeah, oh, many great moments, but the, my favorite, I think, is is my favorite quote or my favorite moment is is when is I mentioned it like four times already when he kisses Fredo. Fredo, I knew it was you. Oh, yeah, it completely changed the atmosphere of the film. It's excellent. That's for me. Uh, are you looking forward to the offer? Um, not particularly. If people don't know what this is, there's a upcoming uh, mini-series about the production of The Godfather because of the 50th anniversary, starring uh, Miles Teller, uh, Matthew Good, Juno Temple, um, a few others, including Justin Chambers as Marlon Brando and Anthony Ippolito as Al Pacino in recurring roles. Um I think this will probably be shit, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if it's good, you know, which is odd because the production of The Godfather famously was complicated and I think it would make a great TV show, but the trailer did not sell me at all. There's about 19 people that could have played almost every part. Like, if you go on the Wikipedia pages of these people, like, so many people will consider for everything. So I'm sure it's a very interesting story, but um, it feels like recently... You know, I love Whiplash, but it feels quite recently like everything that Mars Teller touches has kind of turned to shit. So um, <laughs> we'll see if that continues um, because I do think he's a good actor. Um, 
I think that's pretty much it. So I actually have no idea what we're doing next time as well. So I can't really preview that. Yeah. I have no clue what we're going to do next time. Um, do you want a Godfather is, sure, Part 4? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Um, Written and directed you, by well, Sophia actually, Coppola. Paramount do have the rights to make films based on the uh, Godfather sequel novels now. Ooh. So there is a potential. I think they only won that lawsuit a few years ago, so they actually do have potential to make more Godfather films if they want. They probably will. Um, I hope not, but they probably will. You know what? I hope they do, because there was already a shit film. That's true, uh, actually, And it didn't yeah. really tarnish the reputation, so it's not like it's got a perfect reputation, so I think, personally, go for it. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this very long podcast uh, about three films. Um... I guess there's nothing else to say. So you can follow us on Twitter at Sam H Media and Lewis JWR for more of our thoughts on all films, including The Godfather and Not The Godfather. Um, as I previously mentioned at the start of the podcast, we want to have you on. We want to hear about your favourite film, why it's your favourite film. It doesn't matter if it came out last year or if it came out in 2001 or if it came out in 1898. We don't care. We would love to hear you talk about why you think it's so great. Uh, so you can contact us at the podcast, either um, our, our personal accounts or at Now Showing Pod um, for, for to, to get in contact with us. Or if you don't have Twitter, you can do so at nowshowingpod at gmail.com or by, via email. We are proud to be members of the Music City Driver Network. You can find them at MCDIPod or on their website. Uh, and they have a whole host of articles uh, and podcasts about the likes of music, movies, and sport, including our own. Uh, if you're a big fan of the podcast, the best thing to do is to tell as many people as you can about it, but also by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.